We've gotta be the body to rock it like we're never gonna see it again. We are exploding, the world is gonna know it. We rock it like you're never gonna see us again. Come on PM and Pure Gold is live on the air for this Thursday night, October 6, 2011. We've reached episode 75 and we are still alive. Welcome to the show that covers everything, anything, and tells it like it is. My name is Joe Buccino. Along with my tag team partner and co host, David Gomez. Welcome. Folks, this is. Pure gold, and this is episode number 75, and JB, we are a couple of days away, we won't air before then, so this is 10 months in the book, sir, we started on December 10th, and here we are on October 6th, but you know, by the time our next show airs, but Joe, 10 months in the books, what do you think about that, sir, 75 episodes in, what do you think about that? I think we have a lot to talk about because, (laughs) yeah, high five. I think we have a lot to talk about, and and I think we have a lot to cover. So for the 75th time, sir, give out the contact information before we start. Well, I don't even know if we gave out the contact information on the first episode, but folks, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can call us at 714-364-4721. Check out our website, puregoldpg.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Joe and I both have separate accounts. And, of course, uh, our Facebook. I mean, YouTube is is, – I need to remove the YouTube link, sir. But, again, 714-364-4721. If you'd like to talk to our guest this evening, he'll be joining us later on. Normally, we start out the show with a guest. But, you know what, we got a little West Coast, East Coast thing going on here. So, uh, our special guest will be calling in uh, hopefully later on in the show, sir, J.B., Take it away. Thank you, sir. Hopefully, this guest will feel Jersey-licious, just like our first guest from California. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, you must be referring to the one and only uh, Anthony Tyler Quinn. I wonder how Mr. Uh, ATQ is doing, sir, because, uh, you know, we haven't talked to him in quite a while, but uh, that, that was quite an interview, I must say. Yeah, I must say it was. But let's get right to it, because we got lots to cover, and um, I don't want to say we have a little time. we got a lot of time, so we got a lot of things to cover and a lot of time, so let's get to it. Sir, let's just face it. I mean, I want to start off with the NFL season, but let's let's uh, let's be real here. The NF, the and the Major League Baseball playoffs are underway, and they've been uh, you know they've been st- they've been playing for about a week now, and uh, we're watching Game Five live as it is with the Yankees and the Detroit Tigers, a series that um, I, I don't know if anybody really expected to go five games. I mean, most of the the experts were picking the Yankees in three or four. I mean, but. The uh, Tigers are giving them for a run for their money. There was a rain delay, a rain out game, so their main aces, CC Sabathia and Justin Verlander, were not able to pitch two games. I mean, we have CC in relief right now, but sir, we're in for a treat tonight. If the Yankees are going to lose tonight, it is elimination day as well. Yes, sir, it is, and you know we don't we don't want to just dump on the Yankee fans parade. But the fact of the matter is that you know what we don't like the Yankees. We're not fans of them, and uh, we hope they do lose. Sir, total side note, um, I'm checking out MLB.com to be uh, kept abreast of everything, and I thought you might find this kind of interesting, and this is totally out of left field, but it is a baseball note. Do you know who the new manager of the Chicago White Sox is, sir? Um, Let me guess here. 
he is was an he ex- Wally Beckman? No, no, no. No, sir, he is an ex-Met. He was around, uh, he played on the, uh, <clears throat> the World Series team, the last World Series team for the New York Mets. Would it be Ray Knight? No, that's not, not the last team to win a World Series. I'm talking about the last team to go to a World Series, sir. 2000, sir. Oh, in 2000. Former, former White Sox third baseman and Mets third baseman, a Robin Ventura, Mr. Grand Slam single himself, is now the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Oh, wow. That, that's good for him, Robin Ventura, huh? Yeah, you know, honestly... Other than the fact that he got beat up by a super old man, uh, I was always, a, you know, uh, <laughs> Nolan Ryan, I was always a big fan of Ventura, so when he came to the Mets, I was so excited, and, uh, of course, I was wrong because uh, he disappeared in August and September when it counted the most. But anyway, sir, I uh, just wanted to throw that out there, um, you know, getting uh, getting back to the whole situation. He's actually only, uh, you know, he's, apparently he's only 44 years old, so he's a young guy to be a, a manager, sir. Yeah, I agree, sir. I mean... That's good for him. I didn't even know he was into, you know, managing. But uh, Robin Ventura, I mean, he seems like a level-headed, um, you know, cool-headed kind of guy. And the thing I remember about him is just obviously the grand single. And I also remember him sliding to third base and breaking his foot that one year. I forget what year that was oh, uh, on the course, White Sox. Got to love that, sir. And, you know, I'm looking at his stats here. And Ventura put up some very impressive numbers. Um, you know, even with the Mets, he had uh, he had – Three pretty good years, and you know we were talking about this the other day. We we got to throw a little Mets talk in here for a second. You know, in that 2000 team where Ventura was a third baseman, he pretty much disappeared, like I said, for all of August and all of September. That would have been the perfect year, sir. If the Mets had had a David Wright back then, he would have been the type of player the Mets could have used to help uh, Mike Piazza take the team to the promised land, as it were. And uh, I know you agree with that, but I just wanted to throw that out. Definitely. So. Like I had started the show, like we started the show, the MLB playoffs are underway. And, sir, I mean, three out of the four series have gone to a Game 5. We have a Game 5 tonight on its own with the Yankees and Tigers. And then tomorrow night you get both National League games uh, are Game 5. So you have the Phillies and the Cards, and you have the Brewers and the D-backs. So I think if you're a baseball fan, you couldn't ask for a better start to the baseball playoffs. Ah, uh, well... <laughs> Sir, we'll we'll see tonight. You know they're in the fifth <laughs> inning now, so maybe by the time the show's over, they'll be done. But the fact of the matter is that uh, we we need to uh, wait and see because if the Yankees win, then it's not. You know, honestly, sir, I look at the Yankees, right? And I've been thinking about this today. And if you're a Yankee fan, and this is gonna sound stupid, but like, wh- why would you even be interested in the? I mean, the Yankees are always in the playoffs. That you know they may not win every year, but how? I think I'd be bored if I was a Yankee fan. I mean, so many world titles, so many championships. And again, I know that sounds ridiculous to say, but I don't know, sir. I don't know how Yankee fans say, yeah, this is it. This is great. You know, if they go out in the first round, I mean, who's getting fired? Who's getting changed? Who's getting traded? What are they going to do, sir? Yeah, I agree. I mean, but in a short series, the Yankees always seem susceptible to being, you know, losing because they only have, let's face it, they only have one really good pitcher and really one good ace, and that's CeCe. The rest of the pitching staff is subpar at best. I think this team won 97 games with smokes and, smoke and mirrors, to be honest with you. So in a, in a short series, and, and I guess the rain played uh, a real factor because Friday night they started the game with Justin Verlander and CeCe Sabathia, but then the game got called after about an inning, and then they started playing the next night. They resumed the game, and CeCe and Justin Verlander obviously didn't pitch the rest of that game. So 
they were just limited to one start, one you know, start each in the series. And I think that I'm not trying. I'm trying to figure out whose advantage that is to. And I, I think right now, I mean, obviously the Tigers up three one in the sixth inning, so they might have the advantage not seeing CC twice. I mean, he came into relief just uh, last inning and he gave up a run, but I think advantage to the Tigers on that one. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the Verlander is probably a better pitcher in relief than uh, than CC would be. But uh, you know we can just hope, sir, that the the Rangers, uh, the Rangers, <laughs> sorry, I'm rooting for the Rangers. I'm, I'm rooting for the Rangers to win it all. Uh, for you know, of course, I love Josh Hamilton, but um, you know we can only hope that the Tigers are somehow able to stave off the the Yankees and, and defeat them because you know it'd be nice to see the underdog uh, get one over on them, sir. I mean, how either team, I don't care if the if the uh, Tigers or the Rangers win, but I'd like one of the American League teams to win as long as it is not the Spankies. I hear you, and you know, let's not forget that. Uh, our last show, we didn't get to discuss that on the last day of the season. It was probably the most exciting ending to a Major League Baseball season when you had the Tampa Bay Rays getting into the playoffs, knocking off the Red Sox. The, the collapse was complete, and you had the same thing happen in the National League with the Ash, not the Astros, with the Cardinals and the Braves. So I understand now it's a week later and the Rays have been eliminated, but sir. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better ending to the baseball season in terms of just, like, the, the wild card sneaking in on the last day of the season. Oh, I agree. Uh, unfortunately, the Red Sox, who I predicted to win the World Series, uh, did not even make it. So I was slightly off on that. But, but um, you know, the truth is that the, the the Rays pretty much proved the reason. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to knock the Rays, per se, but a big part of the reason why I don't like Tampa is because, you know, they just don't never seem to get the job done. Yeah, they're a small market team, and I'd love for them to do something. They lost to the Phillies several years ago, which really upset me as a Philly hater. But truth is that look what they did. They made it into the playoffs, and they just flopped. They absolutely flopped. I think if you're a Yankee fan, I think if you're anybody, I mean, if the Yankees get eliminated today, what does it matter? But you didn't want to face the Red Sox in the playoffs. Even doing as poorly as they did to end the season, there's no way you're going to tell me that you would have preferred to, to play the Red Sox and, and then the Rays. The Rays choked it up, sir. They choked it up. I mean, the 2006 Cardinals proved that you could, like, you could just, like, you know, limp to the finish line and still win a world championship. So you're right. I think if the Red Sox got into the playoffs, they would have been a, a, a different team. They would have been the team that everyone feared since the beginning of the season with the starting pitching. So, unfortunately, the Red Sox didn't get in. The Rays did, and now the Rays are out after four games. Um, so, you know, it's it's all about, hopefully, the Texas Rangers. You know, they really do have a good team this year, even though Cliff Lee's not on the team. But uh, we'll see what that where that goes because, you know, this game is not over yet, so we don't know who the Rangers are playing. But, sir, with, I, I don't even, to be honest with you, I don't even care about the Diamondbacks-Brewers series. That doesn't interest me at all. But what's interesting to me is that the uh, the way the Cardinals series with the, the Phillies has gone because, you know, you had the, the Phillies win the first game, but the second game, the Cardinals were able to actually beat, well, not Lee, but they were able to get the win in game two. And they were, able to, they were able to split two games in St. Louis, so Philly took back the home field advantage. But, you know, I mean, it's not a game seven, but it technically is. Anything could happen tomorrow night. And if the Phillies get knocked off by the Cards, I think that's a huge upset. It absolutely is a huge upset, and maybe it'll help uh, Mr. Pujol stay in uh, in St. Louis. But the truth of the matter is that the Phillies, again, were a team. I picked them. You know, you picked them. Everybody picked them to, to make it in the end game. And it looks like that is, uh, that's not happening for some odd reason. And, you know, they, they don't seem to be able to, to finish this out. I mean, if they do, obviously, uh, you know, it, it's kind of expected. But 
the fact is you have the Yankees, you have the Phillies, two of the favorite teams, and they they just seem to be choking it up, sir. So, I mean, give me your honest take. Are we going to see the Phillies and the Yankees out of this, sir, or will they advance to the next round? I really think that the way the Tigers are pitching tonight, I'm watching this game pretty carefully. I think that if this guy Fister could just, you know, basically get to um, the seventh inning, I think the the guy Benoit, the set guy, is really good. I'm not too confident in Valverde, so I want to have a three-run lead going tonight, but uh, we can't be greedy. Um, I really think the Tigers and, and Rangers will make it to the ALCS now, the way things are going tonight, and then we'll have the Phillies somehow – well, not somehow. They really do have the better starting pitcher than anybody in baseball. Oh, I think they get the, Yeah, I think it's you're looking at a Phillies-Texas Rangers World Series. And uh, I'm sure you're going to be rooting for the Rangers in that situation, sir. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I do not want to see the Phillies win again. I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's bad enough that in 2009 I didn't know who to root for between the Yankees and the Phillies, and I had to pick the Phillies just for my hatred towards the Yankees, but uh, I would definitely root for the Rangers in that, so... Um, have you have you thought? What do you think about the whole um, dynamic about the the rain delay? Do you think that this this favors the Yankees or favors the Tigers? I think that the, you mean the first game, the first game rain delay. Yes, sir. On Friday, I think it favors the Tigers because obviously, uh, you know, you're going in there. I mean, it hurt in the sense that their ace pitcher wasn't able to start the first game, but it also helped that the Yankees ace wasn't able to start. I mean, I think Verlander is a slightly better pitcher than Cece. But, um, you know, now here we are, game five. Uh, game one is kind of in the rearview mirror, but I think that if they had been able to play it out regularly, it may have crushed the Tigers if their ace got knocked around a little bit by the Yankees. And the Yankees, you know, if CC uh, had a good game and they were down one nothing after that first game getting dominated, I think that would have been a big problem. I think looking at this game alone, I don't know if you've seen it since the beginning, uh, because I know you're, you might have been away from the TV this uh, tonight, but uh, George Girardi is, I think, over-managing. He... Um, He's going through the pitchers like water right now. I mean, he had CC come in. I, I understand this is a game five, it's do or die. But then you, you have the other take of it, which really, really, really annoys me, is that Yankee fans today on the fan and just talking in general were already talking about the matchups against the Rangers. Like, it was a given that they were going to come home and beat the Tigers and then face the Rangers on Saturday, which, you know, even like Mr. Mike Francesa was talking about the matchups that – the Yankees are going to face against the Texas Rangers and how they're a formidable foe this year because they have three st- three lefties that are really good. So, I mean, that just adds fuel to the fire for me, sir. I mean, I couldn't hate the Yankees even more after hearing that these people are assuming that because the ga- the series is coming back to home to New York, you know, New York Yankee Stadium, that they're going to automatically win tonight. Well, you know, let's be honest, Joe. The truth is that neither one of us hates the Yankees. We just dislike the fans. I mean, we loathe the fans, which is what makes you dislike the team. You know, you root against them because the fans are so obnoxious and so pretentious and just such a, a bunch of tools. I mean, I I don't have anything against Derek Jeter. I don't have anything against any of these guys. You know, A-Rod's a bit of a tool, but that's besides the point. Um, you know, I think Moe's the greatest pitcher, greatest closer ever. I was a big fan of Andy Pettit. But the truth is, sir, you know, let, let, let's call a spade a spade. Now, moving on from that, like you said, here we are in a situation where the Yankee fans are scumming it up as they love to do and just being arrogant and just full of crud. And the truth is, sir, I remember being in a similar situation in 06. I remember being in Game 2 thinking, man, the Mets are going to win it all. You know, they're up 6 nothing. I can't believe it. The Mets are actually going to go to the World Series. They're going to win. They're going to beat the Tigers. And I fell flat on my face, as did the Mets. So, uh, you know, Yankees fans need to calm down a little bit. They need to calm down because the Yankees may be going home after this, sir. I agree. I agree. And the only other baseball nugget that I have 
Um, it has nothing to do with you know the MLB playoffs. It just has to do with the fact that the Mets decided that they did not need the services of one Mookie Wilson as the first base coach. I mean, to me, I didn't know that Mookie Wilson had that much of a negative impact on the team not to resign him as their first base coach. I always thought that he was a pretty good first base coach, to be honest with you. Just what, what do you think about him not coming back to the Mets organization? Um, well, actually, he is coming back to the organization, just not as a coach. The Mets are offering him some other uh, job, so he's going to be with the Mets in some capacity. Tim Tuffles, actually, remember him? He's actually yep. going to be one of the coaches. Um, I'm not sure who. I think Wally Backman may move up um, in, and manage the Bisons or something or one of those teams. I, I, I have no clue. But uh, the, the truth is that, you know, the Mets have their little uh, their little issues going on here. Chip Hale is, uh, you know, moved on to bigger and better things. You know, uh, Ken Oberkfell, who was the bench coach, he's gone. Third base coach, Chip Hale, like I said. Uh, the first base coach is Mookie Wilson, like you mentioned. Uh, bullpen coach, John DeVue, who I've never heard of. The bus, I don't know what the hell his name is. But uh, Hodges and, and Worthen are staying over with Collins. Uh, Ricky Bonus, I'm not sure if you remember him, but uh, he was a he pitched with the Brewers for a long time. He's going to be the new uh, pitching coach. Tim Tuffle is going to be the third base coach, and uh, you know, I mean, it kind of is what it is. Obviously, we're big fans of uh, our boy Mookie, but you know, whatever. He's going to be doing something else in the uh, in the organization, as far as I know. I'm trying to see as we talk online, see if I could find it. Um, you know. Whatever, it is what it is. I've actually heard a lot of good things about Chip Hale. The Mets offered him a new contract, but he, he ended up going on to Bob, be Bob Melvin's bench coach in Oakland, um, you know, which is good for him. You know, it helps him. He moves up on the, on the ladder, as it were. The death chart, Bob Melvin, who was a special scout for the Mets, uh, you know, last year or so. Um, you know what? I mean, good for Mookie. Uh, you know, maybe he'll do something else. Maybe he'll end up – I can't imagine Mookie ever being a manager in the majors, but maybe that's not even his whole thing, you know? Um, they said that – there's a, there's a good chance that Wally Backman is going to take over Tim Tuffle's job uh, the AAA manager. My mistake, folks. Uh, Wally was the AA manager, so there's a possibility he's going to become the AAA manager. Um, I don't know, sir. What, what do you think about it? I mean, I'm, as you're not rambling on, as you're giving us a lot of information there, I mean, I, like I said, I don't think Mookie was the real reason why they uh, they lost so many games. I don't know. Obviously, I think. Obviously, but the one thing that really actually irks me, I do have another nugget on the Mets, is that the fact that they, they couldn't swallow their pride after a year of opening the new park. It took three years of quote-unquote research to figure out that they have to bring the fences in because this team does not hit a lot of home runs, and they have to also lower the fences, I believe, on, on in the right field porch. So why did it take three years of research to actually realize what we realized from the beginning is that they're not making this ballpark, you know, custom to the Mets team that what they are. Well, do you really want to know, sir? I mean, it's it's very simple. They're the Mets. You know, the Mets do everything backwards pretty much. Um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, they got rid of Mookie. He's going to be offered a different position in the uh, in the organization. But you know, the the truth is that. That's what the Mets do. They do everything backwards. When they open the stadium, I remember looking, I'm like, man, this, this the walls are high. You know, what are they trying to make, like, a bootleg green monster over here, like a black monster? Uh, I don't know. You know, they opened up the stadium. It wasn't even a Mets ballpark. It was a tribute to the, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. I was about to say the Cyclones. The Brooklyn Dodgers. So it goes to show you that the Mets just do everything backwards. So there's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, you know, is it a... Is it definite that they're moving the fences? And I've heard a lot of rumblings and a lot of talk, but but is that the is that the definite plan? That is the definite plan, sir. And uh, where uh, where did you hear that it was definite? 
uh, you know, Mr. One, Mike Francesa, had informed all the uh, baseball fans in the New York area on his show. Oh, well, if Mike said it, then it must be true. Um, did yeah. you hear that the Mets are having a uh, – <laughs> that they're lowering their ticket prices for the majority of their season ticket holders? They're going to cut it. I think it's like 5%. I don't even know what that averages out to. But uh, apparently, uh, you know, I'm going to look at this now. So 85, 80% of seats will have a reduction of approximately 5% or greater. 57% of the seats will be go down 10%. 35% will be cut 20%, 18% will have a drop of 30% or more, and more than 15,000 seats are going to cost less than 25 bucks a game. Um, so that's definitely, uh, you know, even even a lot of the ticket holders, like the Caesars Silver Club is going to go down almost 40%, Caesars Gold 34%, the Promenade 33 I mean, you know, there's a lot of different things. So the Mets are, after a couple of years and a couple of losing crap fest seasons, I think the Mets are finally starting to get the picture, sir, but too little, too late, who knows? Uh, you had mentioned that there was the uh, the fact that the Mets were going to be paying less money out of the the buy the whole uh, Ponzi scheme situation. You want to touch on that real quick? Yeah, I think that's good news for the Mets. I mean, basically, uh, this guy uh, Irvin Picard was only allowed to go back two years, which means that he's not allowed to go back as many years as he wanted, where he could have like really got the Mets for a lot more money than they're going to have to end up paying. I mean. From what Mike was reporting, and from what he was reading, a report from the court was that the Mets, at, at the most, might owe a couple hundred million. And again, for us, me and you, the, the normal fan, a couple hundred million dollars is a lot of money. But we're not talking about a couple, maybe a billion dollars of owing money back to you know all, all this all, about all this Ponzi scheme. So I think it's good news for the Mets. And if they actually settle out of court. The Mets might actually break even or actually make money, which is very weird, and I don't understand all the logistics of it. But it's good news for Mets fans. It's good news for the Mets organization and the Will Ponds that they will not be owing basically the whole team when this is all resolved. You know what's interesting, sir? Only on this show are, are we going to sit here and we're going to talk baseball playoffs. We bring that up first. And we always bring it back to the Mets. The Mets have been eliminated for so long. We rag on this team, and we just, you know, they, they haven't they've been terrible for a couple of years, and I know you and I completely lost interest a long time ago, but you see people on Twitter, on the Facebook, and the diehard Met fans, the nutjob Met fans, I like to call them, you know, tweeting and just going nuts and really following everything. And, you know, we just we just don't do it. We can't do it. We don't understand how other people do it. But, you know, Mets fans, are uh, they're loyal, sir. And, and we are, as much as we rip on them, we're definitely loyal, too. So, uh, you know, hopefully this will make a nice turnaround for the team and they can start winning and they can start getting guys uh, healthy again, sir. I actually have one more Met nugget. You're gonna laugh oh, about this, of but you're course, like, you know, here we are, folks. We're talking, uh, we're talking Mets baseball on the night that the Yankees are hopefully gonna get eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, only here, and of course, the impact is, is, I think they're over by now. But you had so many things going on, and here we are talking the Mets. Shoot, sir. Let's, let's not forget that we also are now the proud owner, proud owner of the you know National League batting champion. Although he's a free agent, Jose Reyes got a bunt base hit in his last game of the season and then took himself out of the game. And, uh, you know, it was like a heel tactic, to be honest, where you're not finishing the game. I know you don't care either way because he played enough games, had enough at-bats, but Jose Reyes is your National League batting champion, and we don't know if he's going to come back as a, you know, as a Met, but he did it as a Met, and congratulations to him and the Mets. Definitely, sir. It's nice to see. He gives him a little leverage, I guess, but it's nice to see the Mets finally get a batting champion, and hopefully they'll get a no-hitter. Um, by the way, 3-1, bottom six, uh, the Tigers are still up. Matt Scherzer is still is pitching, and it uh, looks like Jorge Posada is batting. Um, you know what, sir? 
Let's, let's touch on that for a second, this whole situation with Jose Reyes. I mean, do you think that that was really such a bad thing? I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, Ryan Braun went like 0 for 4 in his last game, so Reyes didn't even have to, you know, he could have got one hit and that was it. But taking himself out, he really wanted to win the batting title because truthfully, 10, 20 years from now, what are people going to remember? If Jose Reyes never makes the Hall of Fame, they're going to remember, oh, yeah, he was the 2011 batting champ in the National League, the first match to ever become batting champ. So I, that, to me, that's a big thing. I mean, he took himself out, I don't know, Give us your takes here, that's so I can rip it. No, you're you're actually right because you know people will look back at it the day after or the day of, and they'll rip Jose Reyes for not playing that last game or taking himself out of the game. And I, I I'll be honest with you, it really has nothing to do, on my point of view, it has nothing to do with the fact that he took himself out of the game to win a bag title. Good for him, congratulations. But my whole deal is that if you, I'm going to a Mets game, the last game of the season, after a miserable season, and I don't know that Jose Reyes is going to come back to my team, the best player on the team, because he's going to sell out for more money and you know more years. I, I want to see him finish out the game, his final game as a Met. He even you know he played one inning, he had one at bat, he didn't even play the field. Uh, it took, uh, well, he did play the field actually because you know the home team, but he didn't play the whole game, and I just think that's just wrong for the fans that go to the game to watch that pay, the foolish people that pay still to go see a Mets game. He should have played the whole game. Yeah, you know, your boy Kevin Knight actually went to the game, and he was tweeting about how he felt hosed because uh, Reyes took himself out of the game. So our old pal Kevin Knight was one of the one of those fans who got hosed. I understand that, that from that perspective. I totally understand that, and I totally agree. Yeah, you're you're feeling cheated, and really you were cheated. Um, but, I mean, you weren't going in there originally. You weren't thinking when you bought those stupid tickets that Jose Reyes is going to be the batting champion. So let, let, let's be honest about that. I mean, that that's a late-breaking development type of thing. I mean, we weren't thinking that Jose was going to be the batting champ, but, you know, you bought those tickets in, like, August or something. No, I agree with you, but he is a batting champion. And before we just, I, I think we, we've talked about enough about the Mets, especially when we got so much else to talk about. But sir, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll ask this question throughout the year, throughout the off season, through hot stove baseball. But is Jose? Let me ask you two part question: Is Jose Reyes coming back to the Mets? And if he's not, who's gonna, you know, what kind of contract is gonna lure him away, considering this nagging hamstring injury? Well, I think the batting crown definitely puts a little added oomph to that, sir. But the truth of the matter is that uh, I think that whoever signs Reyes, they're going to have to realize that this guy is going to get injured. It, It is what he does, sir. You know, do what it do, as it were. And I think that Jose, 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 I think that, um, you know, he's going to probably get a contract somewhere. I'm hoping the Mets, with this whole Picard situation being uh, fixed, I'm hoping the Mets will be able to, to give him a contract, whether it's $80 million, whether it's five years, six, you know, not too much. But... The truth of the matter is that he's not, absolutely not, you know, a guy you can build your team around because he's been, he's gotten injured so many times, especially recently, sir. I mean, the Mets can't go nuts. Whoever, if you're going to have that one dumb owner theory like we always talk about and somebody's going to give him a ton of money like they did with Jason Worth or Edge, I mean, you know, it is what it is. What can you do? But I don't I don't think it's worth it to go and, and spend all your, your life savings on this guy considering that he got injured twice this year on the table list. I mean, yeah, he still managed to win the batting title, but, I mean, he was a house of fire, and then ultimately the uh, the injury slowed him down, sir. So you're the Mets GM. It's November. The the World Series is over. Do you want Jose Reyes on your team? Oh, absolutely I want him on my team, but I wouldn't go above. If it's 575, you know, five years, 75 million, 15 million a year, probably won't get him done, get it done. But, you know, let's say you add uh, – 
let's say you make it 17 million, you know, add, add an extra five years, 85. You know, at the most, I do five years, maybe 90. But I don't want to go crazy. I'm not sure if I want to pay him 18, 19 million dollars a year to be injured, sir. What about you? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the nagging injury, though. I just hope also that if if he's if the way he won the bag title, I really hope that he was not just thinking about himself. And I really think if the Mets need to win that game, let's just say to get into the playoffs, I would hope that he would have finished the whole game because if he ever took himself out of that game, he would never be a Met again. If I was the you know the general manager, because then he would just be a selfish player that only cared about himself and a contract. Um, I would never re-sign the guy like that if he ever t- took himself out of the game. So let's just assume that he took himself out of the game because he knew the Mets weren't going anywhere on the last day of the season. He just wanted to, w- he just wanted to win the batting title. So I'm going to give him four years, and I'm going to give him, like, you know, $72 million. So I'm going to give him $18 million a year. If he doesn't take it, he doesn't take it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much or how long of a contract he's going to get. I wouldn't mind four or five years, sir, honestly. I mean, we're basically in the same ballpark. And you're right. I mean, if he had taken himself out in a playoff situation, obviously that's terrible. But the Mets are playing for nothing. The team was going nowhere. Yeah, it sucks for the fans. But the truth is that, you know, he's a batting champ. And, you know, Wade Bonds, I believe, sat himself in like five games when he was going for the batting title many moons ago. So the truth is that, you know what, he's a batting champ. And if the Mets re-sign him and they give him, you know, they don't – Spend an arm and a leg on him, then you know what? That's great, but we'll we'll see where that goes, sir. Yes, sir. So I mean, definitely talk too much Mets on our 75th episode of Pure Gold, especially since the Mets are so non-relevant and have been relevant all season. Let's just uh, segue into uh, Todd's little take and and uh, sports update. Todd is unfortunately uh, with the muckety mucks once again eating his duck, that mean? shrimp, crab, stuffing his face with uh, moose. Um, Turd. Wait, Mark uh, Malusis? <laughs> yeah, he's you know, eating with him. So, uh, just, you know, if Ty was here, he'd tell you that the only the only game in town right now, even though the NHL season has started as of tonight, because tonight was opening night, the only game in town to really talk about is the Tigers and Yankees. And they're in the top of the seventh, and the Tigers are up 3-1. to one, So, let's hope that score stays. And his take would be on the Jets is that, you know they got they got they got ran over uh, from from pillar to post. The offensive line was offensive. Mark Sanchez was a was a dummy all day. He was getting hit left and right. And you know the Jets really ran into a buzzsaw. Whenever you play the Ravens in Baltimore, sir, you will get spanked, especially if you know you let their defense run you over. And what they did, the Jets did not show up in the second half, and they got killed. I mean they're two and two. This is. Definitely the toughest stretch of the season for them because they have three straight road games. I thought they'd go one and two, and now I'm not too sure anymore because they're going to face New England this week. So um, I was not at all happy with the result that the Jets, you know, had on Sunday night, and now they have to go play the Patriots in New England. I mean, granted that the Patriots' defense is the worst in the NFL, but Tom Brady knows how to put up points. I don't know if the Jets can match their offensive firepower. So I'm kind of concerned again, and, you know, in all honesty, gun to my head, which I usually, you know, when you really want to ask me the real question, then gun to my head, I'll tell you that I think the Jets are going to look at a two and three, coming home, losing three straight road games, and hopefully being able to rebound after this because they'll have a couple more home games, obviously, in the near future. So two and three, I was not not happy. Nick Mangold will be back. Uh, The Jets do need to score at least 27 points to beat the Patriots, so... If the Jets are going to win, they're going to have to score at least like 28 or 31 uh, against this Patriots offense. Because is that doable? Again, 
it's doable, but I don't know. It's, I don't think it's possible. I just don't think the Jets are in sync yet with their offense this year. I don't know what it is. I, I, it probably is the offensive line. It's pretty offensive, the offensive line. So, I mean, um, so that's your that's your preview for uh, Sunday at 4:15 at Foxborough. You're probably looking at a 31. 31 to 21 loss by the Jets. I mean, I'm going to say that you know I've picked them every week so far, and I'm two and two, just like the Jets are. So, I think the Jets are going to actually lose 31-21. And sir, you after you know we've reached one quarter of the season, and the Giants. I mean, after losing the first game, have rebounded really nicely and won three in a row. What do you think so far about your G-men? You know, I would get eaten alive right now by most Giants fans. The truth is, on Sunday, I was watching the Giants. They absolutely were pissing me off the way that they were playing. And I just got so upset. I'm like, you know what? I can't watch this. I just can't. I tur- actually turned the game off. It was like five minutes left in the fourth quarter. I turned the game off. The Giants were losing um, by, I think, ten points, if I'm not mistaken. And my wife was like, are you, sh- are you sure you don't want to watch this? And, you know, I was going nuts. I was actually putting together something for my daughter uh, that evening. And, uh, you know, while watching the game, and I got so sick, I mean, absolutely sick, watching the G-Men, that I was like, you know what, they're, they're done. They had a nice little interception. Um, you know, I remember, I don't know if it was Roll, I forget, I think it was Roll, but I could be wrong. Um, they had an interception, they turned around, and then boom, three plays, they're out. I'm thinking, you know, you have to score, you're down by 10 points, you got to do something here, and the, the Giants weren't able to do it in that one possession, and you know what, sir, I turned it off, and... If I had watched the probably lost, the Giants came back. You know, Eli got two touchdowns, bing, bang, boom, and the Giants won. So, I, you know, I have to admit, I'm impressed. I, I thought, you know, I told you it was going to be a close game. I didn't think the, Giant, the Giants were going to lose uh, originally. But then again, I didn't think they were going to win towards the end. So, you know, they did a great job. Top seven, 3-1, Tigers still winning. Uh, Soriano is pitching for the uh, Yankees. I didn't know that Alfonso Soriano was pitching. That's good. And uh, Dimitri Young, I believe, is, is hitting. Um Joke, by the way, folks. I know that's not Alfonso Soriano. Uh, but, yeah, Joe, uh, did you watch the game? You know, give me your thoughts on that, bad boy. I'll be honest with you. I find giant games really boring, so I cannot watch a giant game. And, you know, you, you can hate me for that, or all giant fans can hate me for that. But the one thing, sir, that you uh, – the one faux pas that you have is that knowing that in this day and age with the NFL season, the way the NFL rules are, you can never give up on your team, especially with five, six, even three minutes left to play because – Teams come back from 20-point leads nowadays in the fourth quarter. I mean, you look at some of the other games, you saw the Detroit Lions down by more than three touchdowns come back all the way and beat Dallas in Dallas. So the fact that you gave up on the Giants is a, a, a really slapping, you know, I'd be stunning you right now, a little sweet chin music if I was in the studio with you right now, because you can never give up on the G-men because the fact is that they have a great defense, and the def- defensive line is probably the best in the NFL. They were able to beat, you know, a decent team at on the road against the Arizona Cardinals, and they come back 3-1, and now they face the Seattle Seahawks at home. I mean, I know that people are going to call this one a letdown game, but there's no way the Giants are going to lose this Sunday. That's a game that I think the Giants are going to actually blow out the Seattle Seahawks. I'm looking at like a 28-3 to type game. You know what I love? I love that this is the second time. You talk about letdown. The Giants can't afford to talk about letdown games, so they're going to, they're gonna, you know, not play as hard as they can. And this is coming from you. I don't even know why you keep saying that. But the truth is that, you know, I know I know the way the Giants are. And the Giants, you know, their defense is all right. But the truth is with Justin Tuck not being there, who's their best defensive player by far, OC just coming back, 
I mean, I just don't have any confidence in them. And you know what? If if this is going to keep happening, and I'm going to keep saying this, and the Giants are going to keep winning, then you know, I don't. <laughs> I'll say the Giants suck every week. Get it done. Get it done, sir. I think that so, uh, I'm I'm not gonna you know go so far as say they're gonna blow out the Seahawks because then you're gonna come out the Giants are gonna get blown out. You know you were telling me that they were gonna blow out the Rams and what happened, sir? What happened? <laughs> so are you telling me that the Giants are gonna go back home after winning two straight road games and they're gonna play really tight against the Seattle Seahawks? Is that what you're telling me? What I'm telling you is that this is the NFL. You never know. The Giants could easily come home and slop it up and and lose a close game. To the Seahawks, I mean, do I think they're going to win? Yes. Am I taking them to win? Yes. Um, but the truth is that I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I could be wrong, but, you know, again, you're the football expert here, and you were wrong about the Giants and the Jets, so you, sir, can go suck a lemon, as my wife as my yeah. said. Right. So um, I think the only thing to, to uh, other than, you know, looking around the NFL, the, uh, some surprises, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm not surprised that the Green Bay Packers are 4-0. But I am surprised that the other 4-0 team in the NFL is the same team in their division, which are the Detroit Lions. This team, you know, is really playing uh, really well, even though that you know their defense doesn't show up sometimes. But they're 4-0, and they're the only two 4-0 teams. Granted, um, the Packers are the world champions, but uh, to have the Detroit Lions as the other 4-0 team, sir, that's probably the most positive surprising um, stat of the first quarter of the season. Sir, tell me this much. Do you think that the that the Lions? I was gonna say the Tigers. Do you think the Lions <laughs> are gonna keep this up? Um, I think they're good this year. I don't know if they're gonna have a great record. I think that the you know you look at the teams like the Packers and the Saints. Though that to me is my NFC Championship game: the Packers and Saints. The same two teams that open up the NFL season um, the first week of the se- you know on Thursday night. So uh, I think the Detroit Lions can make the playoffs definitely. I don't know how good they're going to be when they get to the playoffs because, again, they don't have that much experience with this team. Um, but, yeah, I think that the Detroit Lions are going to have a good season because you look at the rest of the NFC and nobody really scares you. You look at the um, you know, the Giants, if they get into the playoffs, that's a team that would worry me. And, again, the, the Saints and the Packers, everyone else says add to me. Even though the, the Washington Redskins are 3-1, I, I don't think they really pose a big threat in the playoffs. So, um it's it's early on. Injuries happen. So many things, you know, so many twists and turns along the way. But right now, the Packers are head and shoulders above the rest of every team in the NFL. I agree with that, sir. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers is the future. I, I know Brett Favre was in the was in the news recently about making yeah, making some backhanded comments to him about how you know he found to a good situation and this and that. I mean, Brett Favre is a tool and a douche and everything else you could think of. He's just scum, and I'm glad he's gone. I hope he I never have to hear from him again. Bottom seven, folks. Scherz are still pitching. Brett Gardner is up 3-1. Tigers have the lead. Um, I'm hoping, you know, that, uh, that that that'll be the case, sir, and then, you know, we'll be able to go from there. Yes, sir. So, I mean, the it's crazy about the NFL season, sir, is that it, it sure. goes by just like that. We've played, yeah, you know, we've already. It's unbelievable. We're, yeah, we're already four weeks in, and guess what? Next month is already November. And we're already talking about Thanksgiving, so that's how fast the NFL season goes. It goes just like that. So if your team is good, you got to enjoy it. If your team sucks, don't worry about it because the season's quick and painful. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, definitely is. Uh, <laughs> it's, 
it's that type of year, sir. And it's inter- you're right. I was thinking about this week. I was like, man, four games already have been played. I mean, here we are, week five. It seems like, you know, yesterday we were talking about the NFL lockout and how long was it going to last, and here we are. Uh, speaking of lockouts, real quick, sir, the NBA lockout, they just canceled the preseason. Are these are these idiots ever going to fix this? Are the Celtics going to be playing basketball, sir, at all this year? No, sir. Unfortunately, or fortunately for me, because I, I'll be honest with you, I've conceded that the Celtics are now too old to win a championship, especially after their somewhat run, I guess, last year of running into a buzzsaw with the losing in five games to the Miami Heat. I, I'm so happy that there's no basketball. This puts another age, another year on Kobe Bryant. And let's face it, the only thing I'm worried about is that I don't want the Lakers to catch up with the Celtics in you know most NBA titles. So it's still 17-16. LeBron still doesn't have a ring. I'm one happy anti-NBA fan right now because they got a lot of things to work on. Um, you know, there's just it's a small market versus big market type league, and it's not like the NFL where every team's making money basically. So they're not going to be playing basketball this year, sir. And we're going to be looking at 2012, 2013 before another regular season NBA regular NBA game is played. Yeah, that's not good, sir. Do you think Kobe's going to end up like in Japan somewhere? Well, Italy is trying to court him in the Italian league, and they're offering him somewhere close to a million dollars per game. And remember, there's no taxes that are paid to that, so he'd be making a million dollars a game um, playing in an Italian league. That's decent. Maybe he can defend your uh, your Uno title over there in Italy, sir. Yeah, that's pretty decent. Yeah, well, that's we... decent money. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> average. You know what I'm gonna say? I mean, you know, I wouldn't take him, but you know, hey, whatever. I mean, Kobe's probably got money problems, so he needs the money. <laughs> if, if he's that desperate, he's got to go take a million dollars in Italy. You know, I mean, I mean, whoa, 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 what is he doing? You know, two nuggets as we segue out of sports into sports entertainment Wait, or just entertainment. Wait, yeah, it's like... Wait, hold on one second before you get into that, because i got to throw this out there. Um, real yeah. quick, getting back into the NFL, just for a second, I wanted to, as you were talking, I had our uh, one of our producers looking up the uh, – we got so many producers, we can't even keep them straight. Looking up the comments, and I want to read this to you and get these, get this uh, your take. Brett Favre said this, scumhole that he is. He said about Aaron Rodgers, he's got tremendous talent. He's very bright, and he got a chance to watch and see successful teams do it right. All right, Brett. Anyway, let me just read this so you can give me your take. And so he just kind of fell into a good situation. On top of that, he's a good player. I don't think there's any pressure on him now. The talent around him is even better than when I was there. So I'm really kind of surprised it took him so long. In the early part of last year, it hadn't quite clicked, and I didn't know it would. I just kind of figure when they hate their stride, they're going to be hard to beat, and that's what happens. Um, give me your thoughts on that, sir. I'm Brett Favre, uh, always a great speaker and just a kind man and somebody who really, uh, you know, is always uplifting others and putting himself last. Give me your thoughts on that. Sounds like he's uh, the scum of the earth with those kind of comments. I mean, he's basically poo-pooing Brett Favre's uh, Aaron Rodgers' Super Bowl uh, win last year and his MVP. I mean, one more Super Bowl that Aaron Rodgers wins is one more than Brett Favre will have. So Brett Favre needs to really shut his hole, go back to where he's from, Arkansas, Nebraska, and just be on a farm and just do some farming because, you know, Brett Favre, I mean, you've outlived, uh, you're out, you know, you outperformed um, a cup last year with the with the Vikings, but Let's face it, you you need to just shut up because Aaron Rodgers is going to be the next big thing. I mean, I know that the next big thing is in my son's pants, but let's face it, Aaron Rodgers is going to be the next big thing. Yeah, you're you're really just just not – you need help, man. Let me just say that. Um, But 
you know, speaking of the NFL, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, you know, he, he's already accomplished more in his career than Brett Favre has done. And obviously, Favre is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But, you know, he needs to just shut up. And let's be honest, the guy needs to just go away. And, you know, speaking of the NFL, we're going to talk about this in a second. But, folks, we're joined by our guest this evening. And we're very pleased to have him with us, uh, you know. We have the one and only, he's a, he's a comedian, he's a Christian, man of God, great, great guy, funny guy. I've heard quite a bit of his stuff, you know, I remember hearing him over on uh, SiriusXM and Laugh USA and just on YouTube and whatnot, and we're very pleased to be joined by the one and only, all the way from California, the one and only Thor Ramsey. Thor, how are you doing this evening, sir? Well, man, I'm enjoying, I was enjoying the Brett Favre controversy, that's what I was doing. Uh, was <laughs> well... I'm not was sure that, how much you pro- Was that your program I was listening to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm joining in on the Brett Favre conversation right away, man, because I'm oh, like, absolutely. What, what, what was the debate? Like, the, who's who's a better quarterback between Brett Favre and, and Aaron Rodgers? Is that the debate? Well, the debate here in, in this situation is, uh, you know, Joe and I, Joe, my co-host, we were talking about some comments that he made, and I just read them. And uh, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but I'll, I'll read them again just so you can give me your take on that. He, he talks about Aaron Rodgers because, uh, you know, Brett loves to talk. He says he's got tremendous talent. He's very bright. He got a chance to watch and see successful teams do it right. And so he just kind of fell into a good situation. On top of that, he's a good player. I don't think there's any pressure on him now. The talent around him is even better than when I was there. So uh, I'm really kind of surprised it took him so long. And in the early part of last season, it hadn't quite clicked. I didn't know that it would. I just kind of figured when they hit their stride, they're going to be hard to beat, and that's what happened. Now, when I saw that, when I heard about that, you know, I know Brett likes to talk, but I'm thinking, man, you talk about backhanded compliments. I mean, he basically insults the guy, kicks him down, and then goes, yeah, you know, well, he's got more talent than I did uh, when I was on the team. So uh, give us your thoughts on that, Mr. Ramsey. Well, that's classic human insecurity speaking is what that is. Look at somebody as successful as Brett Favre has to cover his tracks to show that he's as great as he thinks he is. That's all that is. Because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to end up being a, a more beloved quarterback than Brett Favre. I think uh, it's not just, you know, Brett, Brett's a likable guy had he not ended his – I feel like he was forced out of the league. That's my – my analysis is had he not had his iPhone gate or whatever that, you know, a text <laughs> gate or whatever that – particular little incident was. Bob Fest, whatever you want to call it. I I think I think the commission has sat down and said, Look, Brett, this thing's gonna you know, there's gonna be a big lawsuit, you're gonna lose, it's a horrible thing. We have a picture. Uh you know, retire or this please. thing's gonna you know please retire or this you know, if you retire this can go away. And uh, if not I don't know if they did it that way, but I'm going you know, he did not go out of and I wasn't I wasn't even resentful when he went to Minnesota uh, or even the Jets. I'm like, hey, because the story I heard, too, was, that, um, and this was, you know, I've never heard this on the NFL channel or anything, which I watch 24 hours a day, but <laughs> the the story I heard was that they basically sat down Brett before, he, when he was still at Green Bay, they sat down Brett and said, look, we're going to go with Aaron, so you can either be the backup or retire. So he had to retire. Uh, for the sake of his contract, and then he came back, and I think that I think it was forced out and didn't really want to. So who knows though? But I, I don't blame a guy for, you know, waffling over leaving the, you know, the greatest love of his life. All right, uh, obviously. So you know, I don't have a problem with that, or even him going to Minnesota. But I did have a problem with the way he 
you know, just his lack. He just didn't go out with class. And I will say that no one's handled a messier transition with class than Aaron Rodgers uh, with the whole Brett Favre thing. I mean, that was a uh, – he really did handle that really well. Absolutely. Uh, and then so, I look at the success that he has winning the Super Bowl just last year. I mean, he did it much sooner than Brett. He has his whole career ahead of him. And you know what? I know Joe's going to chime in on this, but, I mean, I'm already impressed. The guy did such an amazing job, and Brett is Brett has no class, I mean, as far as what he's shown. But then you have Aaron, who's the complete opposite. So, I mean, the, the Packers fans must be loving it, J.B. Yeah, it's true. So, the, I'm guessing ahead, you're man. a Green Bay Packers fan? <laughs> I'm not a Green Bay Packers fan. I'm just a football fan. I, I have four teams that I root for. You know, you got to pick several because one's going to disappoint you every Sunday, so I've got backups. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> What, We're what four team? teams. Oh, yeah, give us the well, teams you root for. Well, I live, I, I live closest to San Diego, so the Chargers are my – that's the team I follow. With. I root for them when they're doing well. Um, <laughs> I'm not – I haven't been happy since North Turner came in the scene. But, wow. um, you know, but, you know, I, I like Philip Rivers. I think he's a good quarterback, and I wish we'd have kept we, – we had Drew Brees and, and Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, Marty wanted to keep Drew. And uh, my whole thing was, look what happened to the Red Sox, man. I'm not even a baseball fan. But the whole thing about breaking the curse of the Bambino and all that press they got, I mean, going, if you want a great story, keep Marty Schottenheimer, who is cursed, and let him (laughs) take you to the Super Bowl. That's a great story. But uh, they got rid of Marty. But anyway, so I'm a Patriots fan. A lot of people don't like People don't like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. I love them both. I, I think Bill Belichick is one of the greatest coaches of all time. And Brady, whether he's a pretty boy or not, he's an amazing quarterback and amazing competitor. So I do, I do like those guys. And I was, I was so hoping that that year that uh, the Patriots almost went undefeated. I'm like, I always root for the underdog, but that year I wanted him to win just because I, I, I don't want to hear from the 72 Dolphins ever again. I don't want those guys <laughs> to ever – I don't want to see them. Shut up, Mercury Morris or Mercury Morris. You know, Larry Zonk is not so bad, but Mercury Morris drives me nuts. So, But anyway, so that's my – and then I, uh, I'm, a, I'm an Eagles fan right now just oh because I like, Michael Vick, I like the Michael Vick story. Um, I, love, I love the story of someone who's just – you know, that everyone hates because he did something. I, You know, I'll be honest with you, and I'm going to – I don't know how many listeners you got going right now, but you're going to lose some with this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it was dogfighting. I grew up in a town where you shot your dogs for barking at night and keeping you awake. I mean, they were just betting on – I mean, it's like it's not the worst thing that could happen. It's just that we've so elevated pets to the point of, we, I, you know, it's idolatry in this country. Pets are pets, but – you know, you put them to sleep when they get in trouble. I mean, come on, all he was doing is betting on what dog was going to go down first. It's not anyway. I know it's a horrible, it's a horrible thing, but he served his time. Hate him, but I, I do like the comeback uh, aspect of his uh, yeah. story, and so, so I root for him for that. And uh, <laughs> well, and you I, know, you mentioned the dog fighting thing, and it's interesting because you're. I mean, obviously, you don't condone dog with that whole thing. I mean. If, you know, going to Puerto Rico, I remember as a kid with my dad, you know, you'd see roosters fighting and stuff. And as a kid, I was, <laughs> it was uncomfortable. But you see people betting and grown men doing this, and it's been on Seinfeld and all over. You know, you see that kind of stuff. But 
Um, the truth is you're right in the sense that people really do elevate animals to the point like they're more important. I've seen I've seen court cases and I've seen papers where, you know, people somebody may kill someone and get less time than they do for killing an animal. So, I mean, you're right in that sense. I mean, you know, I'm sure the fans uh, love that whole thing, but, you know. Well, I, I, had a, I, I had a relative during Thanksgiving one year. I don't even know how this subject came up, but it was the whole thing about relative values. And, uh, and we were... I don't even know how the subject came up, but the, the example came up of if a dog fell into the river and a two-year-old child fell into the river, which one would you save? And his whole point was, well, if the dog was yours, you'd save the dog. I'm, I go, that you're, no. I mean, there's your value system is messed up if you're going to save a dog, even if it's your beloved dog over a two-year-old child. It's that whole argument that, that animals have as much intrinsic value as human beings, and, uh, you know, they don't. Definitely not. I agree with that. that that's pretty – I also, you, you know, you excommunicate that person from your family because I think if one of my cousins said something like that, I don't even know if I talk to them again after after that type of, uh, you know, logic. Yeah, and he's saying this while we're eating a turkey. Because I'm like, come on, man. I was like, where's your compassion for the – you know, but uh, – yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so you grew up in Puerto Rico around uh, roosters fighting. Well, I mean, I grew up here in the states, but my dad, is, my parents are both from Puerto Rico. My, you know, we used to go oh. every year to visit my grandmother, and my dad would, oh, my okay. uncle, you know, we would go see this, and you'd go to like arenas, like these sleazy scumhole arenas, and you see the roosters fighting and pecking each other's eyes out, and I'm just sitting there like, I'm only eight, I shouldn't be watching this, but the but the grown men are going crazy and you know throwing money and stuff, so. I definitely, I, I, know, I know the mentality, I've seen it at least, and it's been a long time, but it always made me a little uncomfortable as a kid. But, I mean, these men were loving it as if it was a boxing match or something. Yeah, yeah well, my parents were shooting the neighbor's dogs, so I was a little uncomfortable too. But, do you guys just talk about anything, or do you guys, like, have a... Uh, Any, just read, anything read, everything. Read Everything yeah, I mean, and everything. But. For the most part, it, we talk sports. That's usually, I mean, before you came on, we started off with the baseball playoffs, and then we segued into football, and then you, you happened to come on, and you had told me uh, off the air that you're a big football fan, so we were going to ask you about that. And, I mean, you basically named every team in the league that you root for. But uh, give us give us your thoughts a little bit about the NFL season. I mean, I know we're only four four weeks into it, but there's a lot of things been going on, a lot of points being scored, and uh, – you know, if you were gonna if you were gonna make some uh, some early predictions, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on that. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm hoping that the Detroit Lions stay on track. I mean, they they actually are. I think they're, I think they've had seven or eight wins in a row. Yeah, it's eight wins now because they have they won their last four games at the end of the season in 2010, and so this year they have four. So they're eight games in undefeated, I mean, for eight games, which is huge for that team that, right. you know, had the record for being the most defeated team in the NFL. <laughs> um, so it was a sad record. So I, I do hope that um, I do hope that Detroit does make the play. I think Green Bay is going to gonna possibly repeat. I yeah, think Green just... Bay could, could take it all the way again because, man, they look – I mean, last year – they went to the Super Bowl last year – but when you examine their season last year, they're they're more like to me the beginning of the Dallas Cowboys season this year. And like they're they were a team, but they didn't seem like I mean they, they had some hiccups, definitely. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, and they, but they played a great you know 
it's, it's that, whole, that whole thing. It's like when the playoffs start, that's when the season starts. So they, they had a good season during the playoffs, and they, they won the Super Bowl. But this year they look, you know, they look like the, they look like the Patriots in uh, what year was that when they almost went to 2007? 2007. And, uh, but they, they look great this year. I mean, they look unstoppable. So it'll be interesting to, uh, I'm looking forward to the, to the Lions and the, and the Bears on Monday Night Football next week. Cause I, uh, my wife's from Michigan. So I was never really a Michigan fan because how could you be? Um, you know, in, ter- in terms of the Lions, there's really nothing there to root for. Right. It's like being a Sonny like and Cher fans. Like, you know, they're they're broke up. They haven't had a hit in 50 years, so it's like, what's the point? Yeah. Um, but uh, but I but I they were such underdogs. I'm glad they're uh, you know they've turned it around. So that's exciting to see. Um, and I think the Patriots are going to be there in the playoffs again. Um, I, I think the Titans are better than people give them credit for. Uh, you know, I I don't understand. Matt ha- getting rid of Matt Hasselback in Seattle for who's the is it Travarius Jackson the quarterback in Seattle now? Yeah, Travarius Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Travarius Jackson. That's just I don't understand that because I don't even think he's a starter personally. Um, well, before now he really wasn't. I mean he was just backing up and then you know they throw him in there whenever they could on whatever team he was on. So, so you're right about that. Yeah, so it's like, and I, and Matt Hasselback has been to the he's been to the show. You don't call that in the NFL, but a little baseball. We'll say we'll steal the baseball lingo, but uh, you know, but he's been to the, he's been to a Super Bowl. I don't think right. they, they didn't win it, but you know, he went to the Super Bowl. He's a good quarterback, and, uh, and I think he's doing well there in um, uh, Tennessee. Um, I'm not sure if the, the the Texans have what it takes but they've got one of the best running backs in the NFL. They've got a great receiver. I'm not a, I'm not a big Matt Schaub fan, but I think that's just personal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just don't like the way somebody looks and you have no reason for it. It's like, that's, that's my feeling about Matt Schaub. It's just like, I just don't like his haircut or something. I don't know what it is, but, uh, you know. So I wouldn't start him just based on his looks. I'll pass over him, but that's a good thing. Good, good thing you're not a coach in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I, when I was a kid, I rooted for teams based on their outfits. So I don't know what that tells you, but uh, you know, that's like how, how do you, who, who you, you don't root for teams based on their fashion choices, but you know, hey, whatever gets you through the night, right? What's that? Yeah, whatever. There you go. There you go. You know, Thor, since you've mentioned every NFL team except my beloved Jets and Dave's uh, beloved Giants, uh, I don't think there's an easy way to segue to this, but look, can we just uh, focus on the comedy? And because I'm, I'm really interested <laughs> in learning on, you know, what got you into going into comedy and uh, where I'm do you get so your material from? I'm talking about comedy. I, I'm <laughs> so sick. No, I've been doing comedy since 1987, so I don't know how many years is that. I don't know. I don't have a calculator, but 20-some years. About 24 years. It's... Uh, Twenty, yeah. So uh, one year off for good behavior, and uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, here's a, here's a story I tell. Um, it's a true story. When I was a junior in high on junior in high school, I had a uh, a friend come to me one day, dur- you know, during school, and said, "Hey, I dreamt you were on the Tonight Show last night." And she goes, "You had a good set." <laughs> I didn't know what a, I don't think she knew what a set was, but all of a sudden, you know. 
so I'm thinking to myself, you know, and then uh, what, what happened was I ended up, you know, I went to college, got a real job in the regular world and hated it. And uh, I thought to myself, you know what, if you're not going to follow your own dreams, you might as well follow somebody else's. So <laughs> I went go. ahead and found, found my way to a comedy club in 1987, entered a, uh, a contest and, and basically just started. Within a year, I was working 42 weeks. As an M- I was emceeing at comedy clubs all over the country. You know, in the comedy world, you, you work your way up from MC to middle act or feature to headliner. And so I just put in my time and worked my way up and then uh, uh, came back to Christ in the early 90s. And so then I started and uh, doing Christian events, things like that. I, I was pretty clean in the, at, at that time. I mean, I went through my stages as a club comic. You know, I was actually asked to not come back to a club before because I was too dirty. And, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's going well, to be pretty bad. And, uh, well, it depends on what you want to wear as your badge of honor. Um, and then I, uh, I, I, I did another, I did a show in Orlando with about five of their comics. This is back in my club days. We did the Orlando Amphitheater, which seated about, I don't know, like 1,500 people. And uh, Disney had bought this amphitheater for the city, and they basically said, uh, okay, you guys, since Disney bought this amphitheater, they have one rule. Uh, you can't cuss, and you can't do any sex jokes. So we were all in the back trying to figure out if any of us had an act, and uh, so we're all sitting there writing our set list, trying to revamp our sets, and... Uh, so we all revamped our sets, went out there, and there was ages 8 to 80 out there. It was a place filled up, packed, 1,500 people. And uh, that was a great show. I remember just feeling – I had a really good feeling after that show because it just felt great to reach that big a demographic. So after that, I pretty much cleaned up my uh, set. Um, so when I came to Christ, I lost about 5% of my uh, act. I lost my closing bit because it was blasphemous, but um, <laughs> other than that, kept some of the material. Yeah. Where do you get your material, though? I'd like to know. Where do I get my material? Well, I'd yeah. just be talking to people. Like, you know, we talk. We have a conversation about football, and if you laugh, remember it. And, ah, you know, that might work as a joke. <laughs> Comedy is always about... Everybody's all about taking your context, you know, but somebody says that they tell you, they're trying to tell you a funny story and you're kind of looking them cross-eyed and they're going, well, you had to be there. Uh, Whenever that happens, what that person has failed to do is they failed to bring the context of what was funny to them about that particular story. Right. Uh, And generally they're giving you way too many details. Uh, You know, generally you just need to, uh, all first, they only need so much information to get the joke. Uh, you know, it's like my my uh, my two-year-old daughter. Um, I was telling somebody this. My two-year-old daughter ate my my mother-in-law's heart medication. See? And yeah, gra- grandma's still alive. But uh, <laughs> so that was God. yeah, that was a little line I added afterwards. But I'm going to. They're generally based on something. A lot of a lot of my stuff comes from something true. I'll state the true fact, and then the punchline just to veer off the true fact. And, uh, like, I don't know if this is funny yet, but I was talking about this with some friends the other day, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to develop this because I feel passionately about it. Now, I don't know if it's funny yet, 
but I do, you, you try to find something you're passionate about, no matter how mundane or ridiculous. But, but here's right. my thing. I like fruit snacks. Like, you know, the fruit snacks that you buy, and they're, they're always for little kids, though. They always have Dora the Explorer or Scooby-Doo. Yeah, yeah. They don't, so I, I can't break those out when the guys are over and we're watching football. I can't break <laughs> out the Dora Explorer fruit, fruit snacks. So I'm like, they need to make fruit snacks for men because I like them. So I don't know what they, and, and then you basically take that premise now, and as you set it up like that, now the next line I have with that premise has to be funny. I don't know what it is right now. So that's the idea. You you find something, you just start talking about it. Okay. I don't know if they just need fruit snacks shaped like grenades or just shape them like, I don't know, but bullets or just, <laughs> why can't the NFL sponsor fruit snacks? I don't know. But, um, you know, then you just start experimenting with it and you try to find if there's something funny there. You just keep experimenting. Right, right. And, yeah, and I, and I, I'm sure. Sorry, I'm sure it's not easy because, well, I mean, maybe it comes natural to you, but, like, for example, somebody like Jerry Seinfeld, who, you know, I think is pretty funny, his his act really, it, it's a clean act, and he just does regular, random, everyday stuff, and it's just, it's funny, it's the delivery. Now, in your case, you know, as a Christian comedian, like, how do you tie in your material to Jesus and to Christianity? I mean, I've heard it, I've heard your stuff, but for for those of our audience who haven't, how do you tie in your faith with your comedy and then still manage to be funny, you know? Well, comedy is all about point of view. That's all comedy is. It's your point of view on something. Um, so I would say 90% of my act is just, you know, regular everyday stuff, you know. But and I'll have, I would even probably say even more 95%, if not more. I've got a few jokes I do. But uh, generally, it's like, if you, if you can, once again, if you can take the context with you, you can do it to an audience that's not Christian. You know, I got to do this joke about uh, um, loving food, and uh, and I talk about how the, the thing I like about traveling as a comedian is on the road to eat whatever I want. You know, my home at home, my wife's always like, you, just, you should eat healthy, and I explain to her, no. And uh, my rationalization of, is this. If you eat healthy, you live longer. But I explain to my wife, as Christians, this is not our home. And so it's like, that's right. Healthy people lack faith. Like have a have a Twinkie for Jesus. And I I can tweak that joke just the way I did it there. Um, you know, because I I'm talking to my wife in one sense. If I'm doing it to a Christian audience, I don't have to say. So I say to my wife. Yeah, I right. Talk, I just talk to the Christian audience. So it's like a comic who's Jewish. You know, it's like I don't know what a dreidel is. Well, I do know what a dreidel is, but I only know what a dreidel is because of comedians. I didn't grow up around. <laughs> I didn't grow up around dreidels. I didn't play dreidels. I I didn't even know the dreidel, dreidel. I didn't know the dreidel song. But I do now because of comedians, because of Jewish comedians. Right, And right. so they, they, they talked about stuff that was faith-related and almost, you know, related to their subculture as, uh, you know, being Jewish. It's the same thing when we talk about, like, you know, I used to do a whole long bit on the Left Behind series, but I could even do that in clubs. Because it was, you know, the Left Behind series was so well known back in the day, uh, you know, when I did it. And even when it turned into movies, I could still talk about the Left Behind, especially when it turned into movies. Right. You know, right, so yeah. I, I, I miss doing that joke, actually, because at the time it was one of, one of my favorite bits. But it did have a, a shelf life. You know, it was one of those things where it was it was a hot topic for about, I, I think I probably had about three or four years out of that bit. It really worked strong. And then you could tell that uh, the the subject wasn't as 
hot anymore uh, just because, well, they, I think once they published their last book, because, you know, when they, they'd been, they published 10 books in that series. Yeah, yeah, that's, definitely. I remember those. Yeah, that's several years of comedy right there. You can just get out of that 10 series. But uh, but the movie is what cracked me up. I used, I, I used to talk about how, uh, you know, the Left Behind series, they made a movie out of the book Left Behind. Have you saw it? But it's a movie about the apocalypse with no special effects. So I'm like, I think what they left behind was a budget. I, I think that's. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But I've seen no, the movie, so that's yeah. funny. That's definitely good stuff. What about culture joke? But uh, I haven't, I haven't got to see Courageous yet. Um, so I'll go, I'll go check out that. I, I saw Facing the Giants, and I saw. Um, Fireproof. Fireproof, but it's hard to do jokes about him because uh, people love him. I mean, I, I, I will say this: they work as ministry. They're bad movies, but they work as ministry. So, I, so you can't make fun of them. Right, right. It's, it's like, like saying it's, it's like saying it's, it's like it's like criticizing Jesus because because he, he wasn't funny. You're just going you you can't because he. Well, well, the Jesus is a bad example, you know, because his ministry obviously works. Right. But, uh, right. but any, you know, it's like that's the purpose of it. So, you know, and the guy who writes the screenplays—they're very—he he knows how to tell a good story. And in spite of the acting that's subpar all over the place, um, you can still have an—the movie still have emotional impact despite characters who aren't believable, and that's saying a lot for the story. Right. But uh, yeah, know, I have a buddy. I have a buddy of mine who uh, always tells me, you know, and he's, you know, he recently got got saved, and he tells me how horrible like Fireproof is, and how horrible these movies are, and and the acting and everything. So, um, you know, you mentioned, and, and as a Christian, I'm like, you know, I like it because of the message, and you know, it's it's really not great acting. So, you, so you're right about that. But like you said, it, it's hard to criticize it or to, or to make fun of it because you know you're, you're probably gonna be in a church doing a bit, and people are gonna start throwing Bibles at you or something, you know. Yeah, hey, fireproof saved my marriage. How do you how do you make jokes about that? That you know, it's like when it saves some. Because I do like 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 the whole idea of fireproof. The whole uh, I think it was a thirty day. I, I forget the thing now, but he had the thirty day. Um, it was either thirty or forty. I forget. Thirty or forty days of telling your wife you love her somehow. You know, it was a it was a, it was a perfect thing for guys who don't know what to do anyway. And you got some of the guy coming along. He's like, we formulated a team of men to tell you how to love your wife for 40 days. I forget what. Oh, the love dare. It's yeah, like, yeah, we have yeah. To, we're, we have to dare you. That's such a man thing too. I dare you to love your wife. But um, but uh, you know, it, it is hard to make uh, fun. Now for the for the now I don't, like I said, I've never tried to go up in churches and, and uh, make jokes about it just because it's so beloved. But there was that scene in Fireproof. With a car stranded on the train tracks. Yeah, I yeah, remember, I that, remember scene. that. But I, 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 I couldn't help. Roll, I mean, are you kidding me? That she's stranded on a car on train tracks. I mean, what? Did you just finish watching Dudley Do Right when you wrote that? I can't help. <laughs> I mean, a scene like that just makes me go, no, don't, because you know. And Kirk Cameron's a good actor. He he handled his role well. He he's a good actor. And, uh, but the, you know, I just, and it's one of those things where you just, it's not, Christians don't take critique very well because they feel no, like, mean, definitely not. They, feel like, they feel like mean spirited, but I'm going, well, I mean, 
when it comes to when you're doing something that has some sort of artistic value supposedly, then you know that's that's what critique's about. Whether it's you know whether you're critiquing a novel or a film or you know, and I, I just don't think we've gotten to the point yet where we can see, um, yeah, where we can enjoy a film without an overtly ministry-oriented message because we're we're very utilitarian about our art. It's got to right. you know, it's got to serve a, a greater purpose than just being good art or just being a good movie or a good novel right. or, or whatever else it well, is. Well, I mean, you could turn that and you can spit it into, I mean, I, 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 I kind of don't want to get into this because it's a wormhole type of thing or a rabbit hole, but it's like anything as a Christian, like how do you listen to certain types of music and how do you promote this over that? And, you know, should every person who's a Christian do strictly Christian stuff? If they don't, they're going to be criticized. If they do, they're not going to reach the audience that they want to reach. Like you said, you know, it, but, it's ministry-related, well, and you're you're reaching people for ministry. But at the same time, like, you're a comedian. Like, how, you know, how could you be a Christian comedian? How can you be a Christian yeah. actor if you're not acting it's, in Christian low-budget movies? Like, you know, it, like I said, there's, there's that, that whole mess. It's a weird um, – I don't even know how uh, – it, it's a – well, there's a – there's a lot of irony and paradoxes, and just the just the phrase Christian entertainment is a little. Just the fact that we have a Christian entertainment industry is a little bizarre, I think. But um, yeah, there, but there's a little. There, there's kind of a double standard for because we have what we call a Christian market. I think there is a double standard now because you'll have Christians who will go see films that are made by unbelievers. And they'll they'll like it, and uh, they'll you know they'll go like Moneyball. I just saw Moneyball. It's a good film. Yeah, I did too. I saw that last week. Yeah, I like. I'm not even a baseball fan. I liked it. Um, so I liked Moneyball. I thought it was a good film. I'd give it a good review. Uh, and, and a lot of Christians would do that. But make a film like Moneyball that has kind of a Christian message and Christian characters. It's going to be judged differently um, <laughs> by the Christians. Right. They're not going to judge it the same way. Um, that, and, I, and I think the and it's kind of a bizarre thing because I to me a great Christian film is a uh, like Lars. I don't know if you ever saw it. There was a film called Lars and the Real Girl. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Ah, I know. To me, that's a uh, that's the kind of comedy I like. It's not a film for everybody. I showed it. I was on a bus tour uh, last Christmas. I think it was last Christmas. You know, on a bus tour, you're on the Van, not the band, but you're on the bus with like 12 musicians and artists and everything. So, you know, you're, you end up getting on the bus after the show and driving to the next city and you're watching a lot of movies. And so I brought along Mars and the Real Girl thinking this is good. Everyone hated it. Oh, they hated it. But, you know, but the standard of, you know, comedy was, you know, Larry the Cable Guy was their epitome of great <laughs> comedy. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good comedian. I'm just saying it's there's different tastes in comedy. Right. You know, some people like Larry the Cable Guy. Some people like John Stewart. There's just Joe different tastes. Joe loves Larry the Cable Guy, right, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's fine. I was going to say, but, Thor, uh, tell us, can you tell us about Total Money Meltdown? I mean, is, what's that about? Well, Total Money Meltdown is, oh, man, there's a story here. I could really break the news for you on this story. Go ahead. Um, basically, uh, if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, who is yeah. who I, I who I am not, uh, so don't <laughs> don't confuse us. I am not Dave Ramsey. I'm not even related to him. Had I been related to him, I wouldn't have been in financial trouble. Probably I would have gotten that, better advice sooner. 
So, so basically, uh, you know, to make a long story short, um, over the over a two year period, I was given two uh, free copies of Dave's book, uh, Total Money Makeover. Yeah, I own that book. I've read a bit, quite a bit of it. Yeah, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. And um, so basically, in Dave's book, he has these little tiny uh, testimonies of uh, of uh, my wife's shush. I just pulled in the driveway here, and I'm outside our house, and my wife's shushing me like I'm going to wake our neighborhood. It's 817. I hope no one's sleeping yet. But anyway, um, so Dave has these little tiny testimonies in his book. But they're very short. They're like a, you know, maybe a paragraph. Just people it's like we were, we were fifty thousand dollars in debt. We followed Dave's plan, and three years later, we're we're debt free and pay, you know that kind of thing. But I'm going, man, when you're when you're actually trying to get out of debt, you want to, you want someone who's worse off than you are, and uh, and I didn't find as many people in there as worse off than I was, especially with the age thing. A lot of the people in the early twenties, early thirties, you know, I'm going, man, yeah, you you can. Yeah, you're 30. You can, you can, you can do the 15 year. I'm going to be a millionaire in 15 years by saving money plan. Right. You know, when you're when you're near death like me, you don't have 15 years to become a millionaire. But more like Joe. Anyway, anyway um, so basically, from from the desire to um, really hear a more in depth story, uh, I was talking to my lit agent, and I was actually journaling while we were going through following Dave's plan, total money makeover. And as as I was journaling, I thought, you know what, I could turn this into a book. And so that's what we did. We basically turned it into a book. And um, I would say the majority of the book is just, the, you know, the narrative of, of my wife and I and how we climbed out of debt uh, following Dave's plan. But I don't think I give away Dave's, you know, I recommend Dave's book in my book. I, you know, I don't feel like I, you know, it's not like I steal all his principles and just put them in each chapter because, First of all, cutting up your credit cards, I, I don't think that's copywritten anywhere. And I, I think most financial gurus encourage you to cut up your credit cards. So um, but uh, so that's basically where that book came from. I tried to make it humorous because, uh, as the old comedy saying goes, comedy is pain seen from a distance. So uh, once we were out of debt, I was able to write about it uh, a little, making it a little more humorous than actually being in the, the throes of it. Right, you know, and I definitely want to. I definitely want to check it out because, like I said, I own uh, your your cousin <laughs> Dave Ramsey's book, and I've read it. So it'd be good to kind of read the the opposite perspective. And I saw it on your website, and you know, uh, there's something else I saw on your website as we, uh, you know, as we uh, wrap it up here. And we we definitely appreciate you giving us some time, Thor. And uh, you know, you're, you're probably gonna get in trouble when you go inside. Your your wife's gonna no yeah, ground you or no whatever. Problem. But <laughs> you mentioned Christian movies. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the movie Youth Group? I saw it on your trailer, and me being a youth minister. You know, aside from all the millions that I make here on Pure Gold, uh, the title obviously stood out to me with some big neon letters, flashing signs. Tell us a little bit about that, and what, what's the deal with that whole uh, with that whole trailer you've got on your website? Well, uh, basically, I wrote a script uh, a few years ago called Youth Group about a youth pastor in crisis, and uh, and we're trying to get financing for the film. So what we decided to do is we made a trailer um, to kind of give people a feel uh, for the film, but it's basically a romantic comedy. Um, about a youth pastor who ends up at one of the, you know, largest. We 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 lampoon our culture a little bit, but but in the most loving way possible, you know, in, in the sense of really lampoon things that are really part of more of a uh, they're part of a tradition of evangelicalism, and they're not 
really biblical. Right. So, different. so we don't really, we don't lampoon any biblical ideas, but we do lampoon, um, I, and one of the ideas in the, in the book is, because, um, you know, it's like, I'm part of a church plant, you know, so it's like, so I'm, 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 I try to keep up to date on all the different church growth methods and all the different books out there, the latest trends, and and, uh, and some of you find you're going, there was a, a point there where they were having problems transitioning uh, people that grew up in youth group, and once they graduated and went to college and stuff, they were having problems transitioning those people into the you know into the regular service or the Sunday celebration. I don't think anybody calls them services anymore. There's yeah, Sunday celebration. Yeah, there's beach balls and there's fun music and there's streamers. Anyway, um, so it's a big party. But uh, so, but and part of the problem was the way they did youth group was so different than the way they did church. And so everyone wanted church to be more, and that's why churches, actually a lot of churches have become more like youth group in the sense of the way they're done, in the sense of, of the way they're done. And so, you know, the, the pastor of this particular church in the, in the, in the story is, uh, you know, it's like one of the largest churches in America because you got, it's got to be, you know, gigantic, successful, and that's, that's what you need in movies. But anyway, and, and he does things, you know, and he does things over the top all the time. He does things, and so this pastor's M.O. is doing things over the top. Like if you give the series on the Holy Spirit, you know, he, he builds a dirt bike ramp in the entire sanctuary and has an actual dirt bike driving around the sanctuary and catapulting over his head, you know, to illustrate the Holy Spirit, you know, catapulting us from one hill in life over one valley to the to the next hill kind of thing. So... He's, and he dresses up in a Superman costume to, to give his sermons, and so he's always doing things over the top. Um, so the idea, yeah. So the idea of the story is that yeah. when the youth pastor starts dating his daughter, he doesn't want his daughter to be involved with anyone in ministry because uh, he's seen that you know he's had some experience with you know how how devastating it can be a lot of times when you marry someone who's in ministry, and um, and so he doesn't want his daughter to be you know married to anyone in the ministry and. So the youth pastor's trying to stay away from her, but she takes a liking to him. And so basically the, the premise of the movie is that the senior pastor, for their, uh, for their Good Friday service, they're going to have a crucifixion. And uh, the youth pastor's, you know, you'll see it in the trailer there. It's like, you know, the passion play and the passion. No, we're going to have an actual crucifixion, and you're the best candidate kind of thing. So the senior pastor wants to crucify the youth pastor literally, and that's kind of the, that's the comedic premise of the, uh, the story. And it's a romantic comedy, basically, but... We're just trying to find someone to, uh, if you got a listener that can fund a $250,000 project, let us, let us know. Cause, I think you know, Joe can do that. Spare, you know, his yeah, uh, change, he's got to land around the house. Yeah, our, yeah. our high, our high, our high budget 600000 and our low budget 250000 So we're just trying to get it made and see if we can get it financed and, uh, and join the courageous bunch. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, my good friend Steve Jobs passed away yesterday. I thought would have gone to fund this one. Oh, oh man. Man, that's yeah. Pixar is going to make it into a cartoon. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but listen, Thor. Um, you know, we really, we really appreciate you giving us some time. And you know, obviously, this is this is definitely not our typical interview where we we started out, you know, all over the place with football and stuff, and then kind of trying to bring it back to just asking a couple of questions and getting your opinion. But you know, uh, hopefully, you'll get the funding for youth group, and you know, maybe Joe and I can make a cameo appearance in it somewhere in the background. But uh, you know, me, like I said, as a youth pastor, it's definitely something I would be interested in because it's you know, Christian comedy. You don't see much of it, 
you know, you have guys like yourself or maybe like a Michael Jr. who I'm a fan of, uh, you know, not too many, not too many uh, huge guys out there and you have uh, a lack of real Christian movies and the ones that do are like, and no knock on them, like Jason Giants and Fireproof and nothing really comedic. So it would be great to have that out there and hopefully, you know, you'll get that and, uh, you know, you have your, your pure comedy and everything. So we, we really appreciate you giving us some time and, you know, hopefully, like I said, you'll, you'll have much success with that and, you know, you'll be writing more books and, and doing more uh, stand-up gigs. If you ever come out to New Jersey, New York, you got to let us know so we can go check you out. I will, man. I'll let you know. Thank you, Thor. Have a wonderful evening, sir. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. Right, take care. Thanks, Folks, that's one and only Thor Ramsey. Hopefully uh, he's not going to get in trouble with his wife for, you know, standing out in the driveway, uh, sitting out in the driveway talking to us. Uh, but, uh, you know, Joe, we, uh, we definitely – this has been an interesting show because we really have been – all over the place. We started with baseball, somehow talked about the Mets for like 10 minutes, how that happened going, God knows. Um, then we had the NFL, and we, of course we had our guest Thor, who usually we typically start out our show with our guest. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get into TV, so we're going to have to wait for the TV stuff until next Thursday or Tuesday. But Joe, I had an interesting experience that I wanted to share with you before we close out the show. Uh, do you know what that was, sir? <laughs> well, if it's not the, the birth of your daughter yet, um, no, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to enlighten me. Well, on Saturday, for the first time ever, I mean, I lugged my pregnant wife. We were all over the place. We went to a baby shower. We, you know, we were doing this, we we're doing that. We ended up going to our first ever professional hockey game, and we saw um, one of the last games of the regular of the preseason with the NHL with the Devils and the Flyers. And I have to say, sir, it. It was the most, if I can quote Eddie Murphy, a most exhilarating experience. That was an amazing game. The the Devils won two to one, and I have to tell you, as somebody who's never seen hockey live, I mean, it won me over, sir. I absolutely am gonna check out hockey this year and uh, give it more of a chance, and possibly go to some more games. Did, what did you find the most interesting thing about it? Was it the pace of the game? Was it the the hitting? What did you like? Well, I, lo I loved the hitting. I thought that was great. I was hoping to see some guys start kicking each other in the face and punching each other and knocking each other out. That, unfortunately, did not happen. But the game is so fast-moving, and you really have to – it's the type of thing where you have to pay attention to everything all the time because you, you may miss a huge play. My wife, as a matter of fact, missed the first goal by the double. She was saying, how do I know that there, if there's a goal? And then she puts her head down all of a sudden. You hear the sirens. The place is going nuts. The devils just score, and she missed it. So it's the type of game that for those, you know, what is it? Is it 20? I think it's a 20-minute period. You really got to sit there and watch the whole back and forth with the puck, and you see some great saves by Brodeur and the goalie of the Flyers. And it was just such a great pace. You have your intermissions. You can go get your hot dogs, stuff your face, do what you got to do. You got a couple of those. But the fact that the game moved so quickly, and that two, two and a half hours flew by, she even told me afterwards, she goes, you know, I think I found a sport that I can finally tolerate because it, it moved so quickly, whereas baseball moves at a snail's pace. And as baseball fans, we love it, but, you know, outsiders not going to like it too much. And, you know, the NFL is great, but I, just to me, hockey moves so quickly that it just absolutely won me over. It, it moves quick when you're there. Watching on TV is okay, but let me tell you, now that you've watched your first NHL game, we can actually talk some hockey maybe uh, when the season gets, into you know, really underway because the season just started tonight. The Boston Bruins hung up their championship trophy and displayed their, their Stanley Cup, but, sir, um, the NFL, the NHL season is probably the most grueling season out of the four major sports because the season starts in October. It doesn't end until June if you're lucky, and each round of the playoffs is a best-of-seven series. So think about how much 
of a grind, how many hits, how many checks, everything. The NFL season is so long. That's definitely a daily oh grind. My oh, my God. What? Jeter almost hit a home run. Oh. <laughs> but it was an out? Yeah, it was to the dead, dead center, uh, dead right field. It was going to go, but it didn't. Where are they now? Bottom of the eighth? We're going to the top of the ninth, sir. We're going to the top of the ninth. And the Tigers are still winning. Yeah. Well, you know, truthfully, Joe, uh, you're right. I mean, I, I've always, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. As Hispanic, we're not too big on hockey. There's no if ands, or buts about it. Scott Gomez, who is not related to me, by the way, unfortunately, the only Hispanic player that I can name ever in hockey. But the truth is that, um, you know, it's definitely not the type of sport that my uh, my peeps would normally watch. It's very, it's a very uh, it's a Canadian game, it's an American game, it's a European game, but it's just so awesome. And truthfully, like I said, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check out the Devils. I'm going to check out games, uh, see what I can do in terms of possibly even going to the game on Saturday because I have a buddy who can get tickets. You know, so to me, it just hockey won me over, sir. I'm absolutely going to check it out. I'm going to I'm going to try to go to more games. I mean, heck, if they're fr- Joe, I paid eight dollars, and that was for a pretzel and a water. That's it. I did not yeah. pay a, a cent more. I didn't pay for parking. I didn't pay. I parked in our, over in our favorite spot over there, like two blocks away from the Prudential Center, and uh, I got free tickets. So I'm telling you, it was heaven. And even if I had paid for it, it would have been well worth the money. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you got to watch your first NHL game. It's hard to believe, actually, listening to you describe this, that you actually, for the first time ever in your life, and you are like, you know, getting there up in age, uh, have never watched an NHL game live ever. So I'm glad, no, and just don't. Not- not Don't become close. a Ranger fan. That's that's all I say. Don't become a Ranger fan. <laughs> Hopefully, root for the New Jersey Devils. Well, you know, it's kind of weird to to be a, to Sam if I was a Devils fan because you know here I am like a Christian minister and stuff, and I'm talking about the Devils and yeah, let's go Devils. <laughs> I love right. the Devils. You know, my wife is looking at me like you had like 30, 40 people up there in the up in the you know nosebleeds who were chanting for the Devils and the Flyers suck. I forget what they were saying. There, there was a special chant they do, and it ended with "You suck." It, it, it was like... Oh, I know what it was. This is how it goes. It's basically, whenever there's a devil game, even if they're not playing the Rangers, it's one of these, da, 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 Rangers suck. There, there was that, but there's another one that my wife was, she was chanting, you suck, and I forget what it was. Um, It, it was like, you know, it was something with the Flyers. It was like, let's go Flyers, you suck. Something, something oh, yeah. like that. I'm sure whenever the, the, the away team fans cheer for, you know, the team that's home, you're always going to get, like, the backlash of, you know, if you're saying let's go Flyers in Newark, New Jersey, you're going to say, you know, fly, you know the, the Jersey fans are just going to say Flyers suck. So it goes yeah. back and forth. It, it was good stuff, and I have to admit that it's such a passionate fan base, and, and the place was, was probably 60%. When we went to the Nets Celtics game, I mean, there was more people here than for that game. But, um we actually sat, I think we sat in the same seats, if I'm not mistaken. We sat in that same exact section that you and I sat in when we went to the uh, the Nets game, up in like 124 or something to that effect. Really cool. But like I said, I hope that now you have become a fan and maybe you'll catch a game or two on TV. But the season's so long that, I, I honestly, unless you're a diehard NHL fan, you're not going to want to watch any games until you get closer to the playoffs because <laughs> there's a difference between watching on TV and watching in person. And I've always heard that. I've always heard that hockey is the type of sport that you have to watch in person to really appreciate it because football is exciting on TV. It's amazingly exciting um, in person, but it's great on, on TV. You know, you can watch, you can get into baseball type of sport. You really should watch it live. 
whether it's a Patriots, Somerset Patriots, or it's a Major League Baseball, not the Mets, of course, because they lose every time I go, so that's not exciting. But, um, you know, if you're watching a big league club, but baseball, you know, if you if you can get into the intricacies of it, you can really watch a game on TV and enjoy it. But I've heard that hockey's horrible on TV, sir. I, I've always heard that it's just a bad, bad, bad sport to watch on TV because you can't even find the puck. You don't even know what's going where. Very true. I mean, my dad, I mean, remember me, Dave? Is just a huge Devil fan. Hey, Dave, and, remember me? And I'm sure he'll he'll want to invite you over his house to uh, watch a couple of Devil games now because, like I said, he watches every Devil game, so oh, that's sure. a fanatic. Now, let me ask you, what, Neil from uh, from Belleville, what's he the biggest fan of? Uh, the Mets, the uh, Indians? I mean, you know, get, get, what's Neil's favorite team? I would say out of the four major sports, believe it or not, it would be the Devils. Oh, that's that's some good stuff there. You know, uh, Joe Senior or Neil, as we like to call him, he's the uh, the mascot for the uh, for the Spartans I mean, over there. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really like not into Rex's whole like gimmick because he's a, he's a Jeff fan and the Browns are not doing that good, so he's a Jet and a Brown fan, so he's not really into Rex Ryan. And then in baseball, the Mets and Indians, his other favorite team, the Cleveland Indians, are not good, so he he jumps on the bandwagon like I do and becomes every other fan of any other team that plays the Yankees in the playoffs. So, oh, you know, right now he's a, he's a Tiger fan right now. So in, in, in hockey, family. yeah. In hockey, I think that the Devils, you know, have been good for so long. since Basically since 1994, they've been relevant. And uh, just last year they didn't make the playoffs. They had a terrible season. But, you know, this team has won three cups since 1994. So the team does know how to produce. They have a great farm system. And their general manager, Lula Murillo, is always known for putting putting good talent, unknown talent, onto the ice. And that's why he just, you know, he's a huge Devil fan. Yeah, I mean, that's, and it's true, the Devils, I mean, they haven't built a dynasty per se, but you give me three titles in 15 years, I'll take that any day of the week, sir. If you could tell me over the next 15 years, by the time I turn 45, you know, your age, um, the Mets would win three titles, I would sign up for that in a second. And truthfully, you know, I mean, look at our teams. The Celtics have won, yeah, but, I mean, what was the last time the Islanders won? The Mets haven't won since I was five years old. You know, the, you're talking 25 years. Um, they had their 25th anniversary this year, as a matter of fact. You know, who else? Uh, you know, the Giants, the Giants won recently. Jets haven't won in your lifetime. So it's just one of those things that if you can find one good team and root for them, then, you know, hey, go, go all for it. Truly amazing because the NHL season is such a long season, like I said. And then I, I truly think out of the four major sports, the Stanley Cup is the best trophy of the four major sports only because you have every person that won the cup engraved on the cup, and you have to give the cup back at the beginning of the next season. You don't get to keep that cup. Yeah, it's like a, it makes it prestigious. I mean, even I remember the, when the Blackhawks won a couple of years ago, they had the WWE title and the World Heavyweight title. And, you know, I think that's a nice little segue as we close out the show. 75 episodes going strong, 10 months in. Closing in on episode 100, the huge episode 100 extravagance as the Tigers and the Yankees go to the bottom of the night. Hopefully the Tigers will win. Um... I'd like to talk a tiny bit about um, about the WWE, sir. Um, you you did happen to catch Monday Night Raw, right? I did because I knew it was coming off of a pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell. Why don't you touch upon Hell in a Cell? How how it fell flat, in my opinion, it fell flat on all you know on all the matches. I mean, you had the run in between Miz and and Morrison, the people that were future endeavored and fired. But um, that was definitely a pay-per-view that we had discussed last week that was not even worth buying, and I think it definitely fell flat. <laughs> Well, you know, I've heard some conflicting reports. I've heard good, I've heard bad, but, you know, you had my my biggest thing is, and we'll talk on this, how in the world does John Cena regain the title to win it a tenth time and then have Alberto Del Rio win it back in two weeks, sir? Explain that to me. 
I think Justin had mentioned that it was a last minute decision. Yeah, but last minute decision or not, who books this crap? Who says, yeah, let me give Cena a tenth title run for two weeks? And they're really hot shotting the title like they used to do in the Attitude Era, and this is just like the Attitude Era, except it's not good. It's missing all of the good stuff that that made the Attitude Era what it was. I mean, yeah, there was bad. There, we talked about this off off uh, the show, off the air. There was some bad stuff in the Attitude Era, like Mark Henry and the whole giving birth to a hand situation. But sir, I mean, the logic is just so unexplainable. It's just worse than ever before. That two week title reign, that joke of a title reign, and not only does it defy the credibility of Alberto Del Rio, but then you have uh, Cena it makes him look like Super Cena, Super Duper Cena. When you explain no logic, you explain exactly what Raw was this past Monday night, according to you, because you want to go into that. The, the only thing I want to mention about Raw before we go into the probably the most important thing, which was the last segment, was the fact that they had a pretty decent six-on-six tag match as their main event that went from like 10 o'clock to like 10.35 or something like that. So it was a good match, and uh, I'll just let you take it away about how... I guess I agree with you, but it was still, for me, sustainable TV. If I'm going to quote Pyro, I was able to like watch the whole segment without flipping back and forth to Monday Night Football or baseball. Um, even as, as much as it is illogical, when is the WWE ever logical? So take it away, sir. Tell me about the last segment. You're right. It's not logical, but the fact is, sir, that last segment made so – and I tweeted on this. I'm at the point where I'm tired. I've, I've almost run out of gas. Sir – the WWE put on an absolute slot fest of a main event on Monday. They're trying to convince us that after Triple H being in charge of, what, like two months, that everybody has unsafe working conditions. They want to walk out. They're not ready. They're not this. They're not that. They don't feel safe. Explain to me how that's even possible. First of all, letting Beth Phoenix talk, what a horrible... Whoever let, whoever made that decision should be fired. She was terrible on Monday. I mean, Mike Kyoto's a referee, so what do you expect? But Beth was atrocious on the microphone, not even remotely believable. Um, but the whole Triple H thing, and sir, explain this to me, let's go point by point, how the heck, how does Wade Barrett, how is he the first guy out of that, you have your World Heavyweight Champion, you have your WWE Champion, and neither one of them decides to take the mic, but Wade Barrett starts it out, I mean, Triple H called them out, and it's the whole nice thing, but how does that even make sense? It doesn't make sense, and the great thing is that for the people that hate Christian, I think he was the only other WWE superstar that actually talked when he was around the ring. So for all the people that think that Christian doesn't have the charisma or anything, he was uh, the second spokesman for the roster. He was, and he's good at it. I don't care what David does say. He was good on the mic. Uh, he is good on the mic. But the truth is, it's just Wade Barrett talking made no sense. He led the Nexus. That absolutely destroyed the ring, choked out Justin Roberts, all that other crap. It's horrible, horrible, horrible. Idiotic uh, story writing. Then you have Beth Phoenix, that match. You have that train wreck with Kyoto. Christian makes his comments, and then, sir, what, what an unprecedented move of stupidity. Everyone in the company, except for the top, you know, like Cena, um, Sheamus, Punk, and Orton, top four faces, they were all there around ringside, basically, and they all walked out. How to, explain that to me. Explain how they all walk out and feel this unsafe working conditions, because Triple H even said to the, the Divas, well, nothing has happened, so what are you referring to? Oh, but it could happen. What? You're walking out because something could happen? You're what Jerry Lawler admittedly says in the ring, it's not your fault, Triple H. I know it's not your fault, but since you're in charge and this is happening and they're doing it to you, it's your fault. I'm leaving. How does that even make sense? Yeah, but the the biggest, the bigger um, illogic that the WWE has with this whole thing is the fact that Triple H, like you said, is the COO of the WWE, not just of Raw. He's in charge of everything, Raw, SmackDown, everything to do with the WWE. The fact that 
if you read the, the SmackDown spoilers, which happened on Tuesday, you know that there was actually wrestling matches. I mean, if there was a boycott of all these wrestlers, there would have been no SmackDown this past Tuesday, sir. Yeah, and, and they, what they said was throughout the show that we're boycotting live events. Well, first of all, like you said, how is it Triple H is the CEO of the entire company, so you're telling me that you're going to boycott Raw but not SmackDown, but yet the show is part of the company which he is the CEO of? I mean, it, it's stupid. And to me, what was even more logical than that, sir, was the fact that Mark Henry... <laughs> Mark Henry is the guy who attacked Jerry Lawler. He's the guy who attacked Jim Ross, and yet he walks out with everybody else. How bad does that make him look? How bad does that make Del Rio look? Your champions were, they, they were even spokesmen. If they were Cena in that situation, Cena would have said something. Punk would have said something. Even Orton, who's horrible on the mic, would have said something. Sheamus would have said something. I know the reason they didn't want those guys there is because they didn't want, there's two outs, by the way. I don't know if you're watching the game, but uh, A-Rod sure. is up the last batter. Hopefully, you don't go down with the ship. Um, you're talking about that the the sorry the Yankees threw me off. You're talking about sure. the top guys in the company. Yes. I was gonna say I think we should we cannot do this injustice and talk about the WWE as we're live and on the air for the 75th episode watching A Rod the last at bat. I think we need to do the play by play. The count is 0 1. We'll get right back to you on the WWE talk, but this is it. This is drama at its best. A Rod right, up. Do it. Do it up. A Rod up with Valverde. The pitch. Strike. 0 and 2. And now, as I cue up my best imitation of John Sterling, I am ready for the final strike of the season for the Yankees. Here we go. Valverde is a cocky mofo, but hey, if he could strike out A Rod here in Yankee Stadium, I will be one happy anti Yankee fan. Valverde sets. I think you have to waste a pitch here. I don't think you could throw it down the plate. If he ever throws it down the plate, you could just kill Valverde. If A-Rod hits a home run, here's the pitch. All the Yankee fans are on their feet. The pitch. Outside. Way outside. Okay. We have one and two to count. Wasting a pitch, as you said. Yep. Wasting a pitch. Which... Well, this is Pierre Gold live. We are giving you play-by-play of the Yankees-Tiger game. Unprecedented. JB, take it away. Unprecedented. Yes, sir. Jimmy Leland is ready to jump out of his sneakers right now. This is like 2006 all over again. If the Yankees lose this series, I think heads will roll. Valverde is set. He's looking in. He's, he nods. He's got the pitch. Here's his weird wind-up. The pitch. Strike! Ow! He struck him out! He struck him out! Ball game over! Series <laughs> over! Yankees season over. Tigers win. Yankees oh, lose. Yeah. Oh, Yankees lose. Yes. Oh, the champagne is ready. Oh, if Joe was here right now in the Pure Gold Studios, folks, you would have champagne. I don't even drink. You'd have champagne flying. You'd have milk flying. You would have, you'd have everything. You'd have five guys everywhere. This is a time for us anti-Yankee fans to celebrate the New York Yankees. Season is out of here, out of here, out of here. <laughs> oh, it's a good day. It's a good day, sir. I am so happy. Sir, I don't even think that it's a good day. The fact of the matter is that this is, this, there's only one thing to say, sir. Great, if I was the commissioner, I'd be out there on Monday. He'd be out. Gone. Finito. And I guess, say, sir. I know you want to, I know you want to finish your WWE talk, but I just want to wish you and your family and every other anti-Yankee fan a very happy and most healthy, happy Elimination Day. Carry on. <laughs> Unbelievable.
unbelievable. What an absolute mess. The Yankees the Yankees are done. D O E N done. And, you know, it is, you know, I must say, looking at this unbiasedly, we are a little bit sad here that our team, the Mets, are not in the playoffs. But, I mean, I don't take as much joy. If the Yankees were, you know, eliminated, I don't. I mean, if the Mets were in it, I think I would be a little bit more happier than this. But it is a joyous occasion whenever all those conceited Yankee fans that thought that they were going to play the Rangers on Saturday now have faced their doom, and they are out, just like the Mets. They, you know, in essence, sir, the Yankees won two more games than the Mets won in the playoffs. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I cannot believe it! Somebody tweeted here: the Yankees fans with a look of disgust on their face is just priceless. Ha ha! Evil Empire done. Somebody from Cleveland, as a matter of fact, who apparent oh she's a producer over on the Bulls uh, show. Ah, uh, you know I gotta give it up to her. I, I gotta give it up. Adam the Bull, of course, who was from WFN. Sir, it's unbelievable. And now Jose Valverde apparently did not blow a single save this entire year, including the playoffs, sir. Yeah, I don't care what he does from here on in. I mean, go Rangers, whatever. If I mean, just as long as the Phillies don't win a, a world championship, uh, I'll be happy, guy. Absolutely, sir. I absolutely love it. I am ecstatic. I am thrilled. And you know what, Yankee fans? You can all stick it. Because the fact of the matter is... You guys win every year, and you know what? I got you, you can go someplace, but I'm not going to say it. It's a Christian program, so we're not going to go there. But, sir, as we as we close out the show, um, you know, final thoughts on this. I I have to go back to WWE for a second, just because by Tuesday it'll be old news. So so Definitely. let let me get back to this real quick before we you know wish everyone else out there a happy elimination day. The only thing I want to say, I'm telling you, this show is all 75th episode. It reminds me of our first episode, sir, all over the map. No consistency, but beautiful. It'll be a great listen tomorrow for those of you who check us out on the podcast. Um, the truth of the matter is that, you know, Monday made no sense. It was illogical. This hasn't been going on for six months. This has been going on for two months. J- Jim Ross walking out was the absolute worst because Triple H just rehired him and somehow he decides to walk out on the guy. I mean, come on. Sir, that, that just that was horrible. That was absolutely horrible. And, and it just made no sense. And again, I know that the... the WWE is usually illogical, but the truth of the matter is that, I mean, come on, you you got to get the job done. you got to make these stories make sense. You have to you have to have it where, you know, the stories are going for several months before any culmination of the storyline, and not just, hey, two months in, boom, we hate your blitz, we're leaving. It, 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 just, it was terrible. It didn't make sense. I don't know why everybody thinks it's so great. I'm glad that the guys in Busted Open hated it just like I hated it. And, uh, you know, Kevin and I made an interesting point yesterday. Why is it that these we we're still talking who is the who's in charge, who's the boss, who's in charge. That's still going on fifteen, sixteen years after the NWO. So to me it's just it's just too much, sir. It's just a bit too much. I don't know where they're going with this and it just doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It makes no sense. And to 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 go further than that, sir, uh before you chime in, the truth is that if you look at if you look at the situation it's, if this doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. I know we've said this ad nauseum, but this sets up a perfect situation at Survivor Series. You're going to have Triple H, you're going to have Punk, you're going to have Cena, you're going to have The Rock, all on the same team. No foursome on, on the opposite side, Miz, Truth, Nash, those guys aren't even in the same league as the, the guys that I mentioned. You're going to have the four of them or the five of them if you throw, let's say, Orton. You throw those guys in there, how are they going to lose? The only way they lose, sir, is a John Cena heel turn, turning on the rock, turning on the WWE. It's the only way to salvage the story, sir, the absolute only way. 
It, it is the only way, and I, I agree with you. That would be great. I just I don't want to set myself up again. I think we do that like almost every other time. We always say that this is the perfect time, and I agree this would be now the new perfect time because it's Survivor Series, and we think about the Montreal screw job. We think about the, the screw job when the Rock went corporate. So I, I hear you on that. I mean, I'll see. I'll I'll celebrate when it actually happens, just like when the Yankees were eliminated tonight. Um, I waited for that final strike. Now I can officially celebrate. I will celebrate that night. And I think, you know what, sir? I think Survivor Series is becoming a pay-per-view that we probably have to order and watch live. You're right. Absolutely, sir. We're going to have to watch that. Um, and, you know, there's a WWE channel coming up. Um, there's a possibility. I'm not sure if you knew this, but there's a possibility that you're going to get, let's say it's 70 bucks a month, which I would get. I'm sure you would get, too. But you're going to be able to get the Royal Rumble, the SummerSlam. You're going to get... Survivor Series and WrestleMania offer all included in your package, no extra cost. What do you think about that? That's a great deal. I mean, you got to sign up if you're a wrestling fan. Absolutely. I would absolutely go for it. I'm sure you would go for it. But, uh, you know, you're right, sir. Survivor Series is looking like a pay-per-view we're going to have to get. And, uh, you know, maybe you're going to come over. We're going to do a little show. We're going to do a little PG action. It, it, it definitely needs to be purchased, sir. But if you're going to order these other pay-per-views, you are an absolute fool. That's all i got to say about that. I agree. And, you know, I, I, as we close out this, the whole WWE talk, it's just it's easy to start speculating on, like, what's going on. And I think it's almost time that we reveal, uh, or it's almost time that the WWE reveals who's behind this all, especially after that walkout. You would think that Triple H on Monday is either going to resign or just going to be like, you know, find somebody else to do it. And I think it's just it's just too easy or too obvious to make it John Lawrence nice behind this because he needs somebody higher than him to be pulling these strings, and, you know, I personally would mark out if it was Shane McMahon. I mean, having Vince being behind this, to me, makes too much sense, and that's why if they ever got Shane back into the fold, you know, him being upset that the the, the board of uh, directors gave uh, Vince McMahon control of the company and not the actual son, I think that would be great TV if Shane was actually behind all of this. I think you mean uh, Triple H, the company, not not Shane. Right. No, you're right, and, and the thing is, it, it's probably going to be Vince, but if it is Vince, it's going to be way too obvious, so we're hoping, like you said, that there's a chance that um, it's not him, that it's not Vince, that it ends up being Shane, that would be great, but I'm not going to, like you said, I'm not going to go crazy until something good happens, but you know, sir, uh, as we close out the 75th show, uh, you know, we'll see where the WWE goes, this is probably the least we've talked about wrestling in quite a while, and it's probably the way it should be. Um, any, right. any, other, any other thoughts on that, sir? Any other thoughts on anything before we close out? You want to just uh, rip the Yankees a minute? Um, I don't need to rip the Yankees anymore. I mean, t- technically, uh, for me, the baseball season ended with that last strikeout of A-Rod because I have, like, other than the Phillies in the World Series, I have no interest in baseball. I mean, I could actually sit and relax and watch the, the baseball playoffs if I want to, but I don't have to stay up until 1 or 2 in the morning hoping that the Yankees get eliminated anymore. So, you know, good for me, good for every anti-Yankee fan out there. Happy Elimination Day. Happy 75th show of Pure Gold. It's been a great show. We were all over the map, just like we were for Episode 1. But, hey, what can you do? Absolutely, sir. So we're we're thrilled. We're excited. We're pumped up for another 75 episodes, another 175 episodes, another 1,000 episodes. Let's see where this takes us, sir. Thank you, as always, for just, you know, doing what you do best and just bringing the scum. And uh, for those of you out there, folks, for listening, we appreciate it. We'd like to thank uh, Thor Ramsey for, you know, joining us and what was definitely an unorthodox interview. But, of course, we appreciate him spending some time out there. And he's probably grounded. We may not hear from Thor again for a long time because his wife is landing smackdown on him. 
But for the Yankee fans out there, too bad, so sad. Peace out. For JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you go, always keep it. PG. Let's go, Rangers. Woo! Yankees suck. Good night, everyone.